You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast, season 11, episode 40. Um, I'm John, and joined by support slot, Josh, how you doing? Buonasera, John. How you doing, mate? I'm good, eh? You recovered from yesterday? Oh, oh I am much better state than I was in yesterday, mate. You were, you were good enough to uh, come around my gaff to drop uh, a copy of Jeff's book. Um, Scotland's, now give me the full title again, Scotland's Lost Clubs. Lost Clubs, aye. Aye, uh, there's a wee plug for Jeff's book. Um, no, but uh, I well, you see me, I was in some nick. I had a wedding on Saturday, uh, and it was... Uh, uh, it was one of the ones where I was all, all right for most of the day, and then suddenly there's just this. It's it's like that scene. I mean, you know how much I love The Simpsons, and there's this scene in The Simpsons where where Homer's trying to remember his, his night out, and it's just like scene missing, uh, and that's that's kind of like what. what, what aye, uh, it's just aye. No, it was a good night though. But uh, aye, glad glad to be over the hangover. So no, no two day hangover. Thankfully, just the one day. No, no, no yet, mate. I've still got maybe, I think I'll maybe get another year and then I'll be old enough. The hangovers are getting worse and worse. It is, actually, it's funny, me and my girlfriend were talking about that on Sunday. We were saying, when I was like 19 and that, folk used to say, oh, the hangovers get worse when you get older. And I used to say, oh, bullshit, all that, you know. It's so true. It gets worse and worse as you get older and I don't even feel old, but, aye, uh, yep. It's a weird one. So obviously I'm a bit older than you, so I'm at the stage... When I was 30, I still thought I could do what I did at 20. So in the 30s, I was like, right, okay, the hangovers are getting bad. Whereas now, I think sometimes when I'm older, I kind of know my limit. So I go, right, I'll stick to beer, then I'll do spirits, and I'll not have every daft drink under the sun. But that doesn't always happen. Yeah. So, aye. Um, so it's Blue Monday today. So what better than having a music, a music guest on? See what I did there already, early on? Um, so if we're the support arts, Josh... Tonight, the headliner is Matt from Brownbear. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm actually sitting here trying to work out if there's anything that gets better as you get older. I don't, I don't know if there's an answer to that. <laughs> Everything feels worse as you get older. Uh, you say we get wiser as we get older? Yeah, I think so. But you know, something weird happened to me. Like, I turned 30 this year, and I honestly feel like I turned 30, and then the next day I just couldn't have dairy anymore. And I love like, <laughs> chocolate and all that, man. I was like... It's been horrific. I, I gave up drinking a long time ago, and I'm like, what have I got in life now? I don't drink anymore. I don't have chocolate. Cheese? Cheese? Oh, you can't have cheese. cheese. That's dairy, man. Dairy? Cheese, aye. And, and vegan, vegan cheese and all that's like nonsense. It's not, yeah, it's not the same, is it? <laughs> Do you know what? I've actually got quite into Chris and then Trump. It's like a placeholder to find something good <laughs> to get excited about. What would be your favourite crisp, Matt? Uh, you know this the Thai chili sensation. Oh, aye, aye, nice. Uh, we bit of them. We are, well, well, it's dairy, so maybe. But I always like them. We a wee bit of sour cream. Uh, sour uh, cream see, I started having them with uh, hummus. Hummus, oh, aye, hummus, nice. Aye. Right into that. You get like peri peri hummus now. It's class. Aye, and uh, pepper hummus. I got pepper hummus in the fridge actually for yeah, some cooked yeah. tears. That's my plan for later. Um, yeah, man. So, I actually need to ask first of all because a few people asked this about three different people. Is it brown bear? Um. Sure, man. <laughs> you know what? Like we, that that whole thing came because we had a, a manager, and we're obviously called Brown Bear, which is like if you Google, 
if you try and go, the reason we haven't done well in life is because if you Google me, you actually get pictures of bears. <laughs> so he was like, put this, like, like brown, well, it's not supposed to be a brown bear, it's actually in the logo, it's kind of written as if like phonetically how it would be written if you were to pronounce yeah. it the way we say it. And, uh, and it kind of stuck. And then we went to Germany to play. And folk just looked confused. And after someone said to us, like, why have you misspelled brown bear? And they, like, if that E was an A with the double dots over it, that would be how you say brown bear in German. Yeah. So they thought we just couldn't spell. <laughs> so it's just, but if you Google brown bear, like, the in the hashtag, it's probably like the only thing that comes up. So it's kind of been good for us to use that as a way for, like, I guess if anyone wanted to be on Twitter and see what we're doing, we kind of try and always use that hashtag and maybe you'll, you'll find us. Uh, it's a wee kind of niche, one of those kind of wee niche things, like the f- fans of certain bands will have hashtags that, that are maybe not to do with the actual name yeah. of the band, but it's something that, that they can all uh, use to search and, and, and see the kind of content of their favourite music artists. Plus, I, I really hate when bands have got things like, like a play on words from the name, like, you know what I mean, like the strutters or whatever, like, I would hate it if they were called like the, the bears or like the, the hybrid, the hybrid nation or something like that. Like, <laughs> just fucking shit. Like just, <laughs> just, just learn the hashtag and go on with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're not the only one though that has a name whereby you search into something different. Cause obviously we had a dictator on the podcast recently. So the first mm-hmm. search by dictator is going to be like Kim Jong-un or Putin right. or whatever. So I suppose maybe it gets you in the search engine, like focus searching things and it, Oh, Stumble yeah. accidentally as well. I mean, there's feels a bit like they might have. If you're accidentally stumbling onto like dictators, you're kind of radicalizing people. Saying those boys have a lot to answer for. <laughs> it's quite good bad, although in stuff, the terms of stuff they're doing on Instagram, they're like yeah, like the dick are, pics. Aye, yeah, <laughs> lots. Of, there's like content for days with that, well, years actually. Um, so, aye. So how's it going anyway? In terms of music-wise, you've got some stuff coming up this year, which everyone's super excited about. Yeah, it's. I think it's. It's been long enough where people are thinking, "Man, what's he doing?" And I thought, like, better make an album. So we're making a new record, and it's been so so nice to be back in because, like everyone, you know, the pandemic, everyone, like, not just, not just like what you do, but your confidence because you just you're removed from, like, being around other creatives and stuff like that. So we, we were just kind of, what are we going to do, and how are we going to afford to make a record if we can't tour and. We we're really lucky to get some some help with funding, uh, and yeah, we've, I've just about finished making a second record, so I'm like super hyped about that, and um, we'll see what happens. But it's it's a, it's a different like uh, we're talking about dictator like, off air and on air, you know, and and you know they were talking about like having families and that, and for me, like getting to thirty, it's like a different time in your life where you don't, I don't have that same drive to just want to be out gigging all the time and like just shooting out stuff for the sake of doing it. I'm kind of like. You know, like I'm going to turn up and do the shows when I feel like them. I kind of want to let the music do the talking for a bit, and that's probably a bit of a privileged place to be because we've done a record and we've done a lot of touring, so now we can put things out and know that a certain amount of people are going to hear it. Um, which has been nice to go in and just the one maybe benefit of COVID being that I've been able to go in to the studio and not be thinking about touring the record or whatever. I'm just literally going in and thinking of what what can we do here that's like musical and. And maybe I'm going to shoot myself in the foot because we're going to have to tour it, and it's going to be a little bit harder. And we'll get—I know there's a question maybe about stuff for that later on, so I'm like say too much. But uh, yeah, so it's been—it's been an exceedingly rewarding, uh, a rewarding time, and I think for me it's the best stuff I've worked on yet across all the projects I've done. So, do you have a working title for the album? 
Matt, or is that something you want to share with us, or you can share? Or? Nah, I think I'll keep it a secret because I think <laughs> just just because I know there's a couple of singles to come first that aren't nah, the name, you. and then and then we'll announce the album. And uh, but what I can say is the artwork's done, and it's uh, it was a painting by Jamie Coleman, who's an amazing artist, both artistically and musically. And he's he works on our tour, and he works in Kyle Faulkner's tour as well. When we worked on that, so um, I'm just like really glad that. Uh, we've managed to have something like that work out where it's not like just a graphic design or like a, a picture of me for a reason like Jamie painted it and that he actually just painted it as a present for me after a tour and I was like man I, I love this so much can it be the records and it started making me think about things and that's kind of how we we've, we decided on the title so it's been really lovely to have like such a, a personal involvement with someone that's been so close to the project with us I like that's that cool. Dead, Dead Sea Souls have asked is the new album going to be similar in terms of arrangement, in terms of sound-wise, or are we seeing a, a new approach, different type of sound? You know what, I, I guess it's like, there's a bit of both. I, I approached it very much the same, where like I, I'm very, like I love to go in and have all the instruments and the instrumentation and know that like, you know, I track it and then we build it and then the band come in and we know that the band are essentially going to be able to take that and put it into live but we've added a bit more stuff you know like it depends what you take it from you know the first record has it moved on a bit yeah but what I love about this record like not to give too much away is like the first song in the record starts where this the, the last song in the first record finished uh-huh. and you can, when we get into this growth it's not like we just jump in and there's like this different sound that builds it's got a lot of the first record sound and it builds towards I mean people have heard retro already so they know there's like yeah. a little bit of a a difference in sound and so it's kind of trying to figure out how we get there and then what I love is like you know does, does that mean that the next record is going to sound like that or are we just going to do something different and that's the joy of being a songwriter is like but it, it's kind of it's kind of gradual and it's it's also the thing of like I say it to other artists when I work with them is that you've got to remember that a lot of what people think is your sound isn't what you think is your sound like to me I'm like gosh this is going to be different but when I show it to people like this is so you because it's still my voice, so like what I perceive to be different to sound. I mean, people might hear it and think this is exactly the first record, but um, I went, I went in with this thing of I wanted it to be, you know, the first record. I was say is very indie, and my love is like very much soul. And I was like, I kind of want to create this amazing hybrid indie soul record, and and I, and every time everyone said, "What's the reference for the record <laughs> in the studio?" I was like, just imagine Paul Simon, Graceland meets the Miss Educational Lauren Hill. And they just had this fucking mad child. Oh, oh. You know what I mean? And they were like, cool, like that's cool. That's a cool basis to come off for a record. So, we, yeah. And obviously, like, for anyone that's been seen as live, more recently we've toured with backing singers and they've been in the record. So, like, that again, like, to maybe if someone's only heard the first record, that could be a bigger jump here in those voices. But if you've seen us do the first record live with the singers, it's a bit less of a jump than. If you haven't, you know what I mean? So there's like, yeah, I think there's a, a shift, but it's not, it's like, a, I like to think it's like growing in it. I think that's the, the joy of being independent and, and genuinely starting. Like a lot of artists start where it's like major influence and they they, they, they get dropped in on a first record, like Mumford & Sons or something like that, which is really probably been a lot of input from a lot of people over years. And then it came out as if it's the first, but that actually should be like where album three is. You know, with the Capaldi thing, like he dropped in it where like album three should have been, and now you've got to think, where do you go? Like if you start an arena, you can't go much further than there. So 
we're at a stage where we're like we've started right at the bottom and we're building. So like the sounds, it's not, it's not, it's never going to be miles away. But maybe album three from album one will be miles away. But by the time you get there, hopefully people will understand how you got there. Aye, like a, a slow, gradual evolution. And you've yeah. Got, so have you always been independent in terms of no management decided to do it all yourself? <laughs> Kind of, but we had management for a bit. We had the same management as celebrities, um, and like it just didn't didn't work out in, in the end. Like they they got us a lot of great opportunities, but like in some ways we weren't ready for them. And then at other times when we were ready, they didn't have the time for us because obviously bigger acts is their priority. And um, but even within that setup, I was very much left to deal. Like, and this happened a few times for us, but because I've always taken an interest in the business, like I would quite often on the email chain and saying this is what's to happen and some people found that a bit weird they were like ah oh, we don't really want to deal with him because he's just the artist whereas I was like well you know when we released that record like I did that I was like we released the record just myself like there wasn't any support like we just always done it independently and we're really fighting to try and keep that being the case and prove that as an independent artist you can compete in a major market but that's tough you know it's, yeah, I mean, the, the first record um, is, is and, and, you know, to, to give you a plug, Matt, for, 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 um, for, for our listeners, the, for, the first album, um, What Is Home, is, is a great record, mate, it really is. Um, it, it really, you know, when, when I listen to it, I, I hear a lot of kind of, and you maybe totally shoot, shoot, shoot me down here in, in, ter- in terms of the sound and, and what you perceive your sound to be, but when I listen to it, I hear... Um, I hear like, um, I hear kind of like that that kind of um, early mid two thousands kind of rock, um, a bit like bit like Travis. I, I hear a lot of kind of that that influence. It reminds me like the, listening to the album the first time I listened to the first time I listened to it was in two thousand nineteen, I think. Uh, and I, I remember thinking it sounded like um, I think it was Travis's. Fifth album, and um, the boy with no name, mm-hmm. and, and I heard a lot. I, I heard a lot of that, but I suppose then my question for you is: What is your sound? What you know? What do you, what do you see yourself as? I think just a songwriter. You know what I mean? I think that's the thing as well. Like, obviously, Travis as a band are driven by probably Fran Healy as a, a writer, and there's a lot. A lot, lot of pa- there's a lot of parallels. Do you know? Yeah, um, it's like fronting it with an acoustic in it, like yeah. acoustic driving. The sound is going to give a certain feeling. Um, but yeah, I think the first record took a. It's funny because it it depends who, who plays something or how you perceive it. Like when we did a lot of the lead licks in that first record, up high on a Telecaster, I was never thinking like of an indie sound. I was thinking of a very like like African, like you would hear in like Nigerian like music or music from the Congo or or like Graceland or whatever it is. Like I was thinking along that lines and that. So so much of like indie and that music does come from like Afrobeat kind of genre and and reggae like like the speed you know like people took so much from the cla- like the clash took so much from reggae and like the specials and stuff like that and I think so it's it's hard like but then there's like the sensibility of being a writer you do tend to like don't know like I, I mean Olive Tree is a very country song really if you if you if you heard a country artist do Olive Tree yeah. I don't think you would think it was unusual because of the the tuning and the kind of structure of the song so like and that's what I mean by being a songwriter like you get to like float across genres a little bit like you know but I do think there maybe is a brown bear sound I kind of feel like yeah 
yeah. And it was, I was actually just going to say, I'm glad you brought it. All of Trees, probably, probably my favourite song off the album. Ah, sure, sorry. Um, yeah, it's a great tune. Um, really, really, really brilliant. Who, you know, I suppose just to extrapolate, who, who, I suppose, who were your, who were your, you know, influences when you were growing up as an artist, when you were first learning to play, um, and you were, when you were first introduced to music? Man, I, I was like, I mean, when I was first introduced to music, honestly, my first love was like Michael Jackson and like Stevie Wonder and all that. Like, honestly, like, I used to beg my mum about 10 times a week to change my name from Matthew to Michael. I was like, it's not even a big change. <laughs> like, um, and, but my dad was like a proper rock fan. So, like, he was always listening to Led Zeppelin and uh, Queen. And I loved Queen, like, honestly, like, just, uh, you know, so that was me, like, growing up. And then it became like, I kind of let go of the soul thing because I, I was getting, like, you get a bit older and you want to play guitar and, and, and Nirvana were still like, people still talk about that. So like, I came, I came from a great, maybe the same as yourself, Josh, like, we were so spoiled and they didn't realise it because we came from this great generation of like bands who to us seemed cool, like some 41 and Avril Lavigne, all, all those people like Blink-182, all that. But they were essentially playing pop songs and marketing it to kids as rock songs. So we had, we grew up without knowing it with a, a sensibility for pop music, understanding what choruses were but also understanding what angst was, whereas like now all kids hear is like, like just total pop without meaning. And every voice, every time I, I, I couldn't tell you who's singing what because every voice sounds the same. There's no inflections that are different because they're all trying to beat an algorithm and it's like just lost what music's about. You know, so I, I came from that thing. So actually what's funny, when I was at school, I was so into rock and metal. By this point, kidding on, I didn't love soul and hip hop that... I fucking hated Indian music. Like, I, they see the thought of the cooks or anything like that. I was like, oh, wow, all that, like the Oasis and all that. I was like, fuck those bands. That's what, and it's funny now because like when people talk about real music now, they go, yeah, Oasis and that. But I remember like to a certain generation, like to like Oasis and that was lame, like because it was not, it wasn't like serious rock music. Like now when you put on Kerrang, you probably see Oasis as rock music. But at the time, I would have been like, oh, fuck Oasis, because this is real rock music, which is so funny now, because you're like, please, anything like that would be amazing, because there's no guitar music. So we we, we, we lived for a very, like, we lived for an amazing time because there was so much choice, alternative choice. like, And I think that's, for me, I had so many influences, and my dad always had this thing of, like, when I was young and I was shit on pop music, you know, he was always like, you know, he taught me from a young age, like, he, he listened to everything, and my dad was, like, the biggest rock fan. You know, he went to see Queen at Wembley and all that. Like, he, he really was such a rock guy. And but he would go out and buy the Sugar Babes album. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, well, you, you don't know if you like something to try it. And he would buy every album that came out. It was just like an encyclopedia for music. And he'd be like, you have to understand that these writers have a job to write for them. And okay, the artists didn't write it, but those writers have a task. And some of these pop songs are the best songs actually being written. So I think that in itself influenced me so much because I grew up with a respect for songs and I, and I became fascinated by the song and um, that kind of shaped me. And, and, you know, there is a bit of that. You, you can hear it in Stop the World and Dead Alive. We've got that riff thing. We've got that rock heaviness. And one guy called it brilliantly in, in a review. It's like, it's kind of Nirvana-esque. And that was my thing growing up. I loved Nirvana and I loved their no-nonsense approach, like no solos, just fucking say the song and go home. And so for me, all of those different influences you know, did that. And then as I got older and I started to realise, like, you don't have to be so into rock. You can do like what you like. I really started to get right back into, like, all the stuff I'd loved growing up. 
Michael Jackson, Steve Wonder, and, and then I start because at that point you're starting to read about who produced it. You're like, oh, Quincy Jones produced it, and you start figuring out all the stuff about Quincy Jones. And you're going back down that rabbit hole and Motown, and and then for me, hip hop is like such a big thing. I absolutely love hip hop and country. So everything that honestly, everything bar kind of heavy metal and dance for me is like a gore. See, it's interesting because I'm older, like so you're talking about always oh, just being like louder all that time. But at the time I was growing up, that was what was there. But it's even like the structure of like indie, like. So indie was, you always said where you're on, well, I mean, indie music, but really you went into indie music because it wasn't really independent. And that's what I think. Mm-hmm. I think indie, indie is really independent. That's where it derived from. But indie music was actually Britpop or it was rock, but rock, it wasn't rock rock. Yeah, it was like it soft was rock, wasn't it? Soft rock. And even be, before that, I was listening to Guns N' Roses. So November Rain came on yesterday. And I think Guns N' Roses were regarded as this big rock app, but they weren't even that heavy. Maybe no. the live shows were, but you listen to them and it's, it's total pop rock, but done yeah. to the kind of degree of just getting in the, the genre being chartable, whether the bands want that. This is this is the thing about all music though, is like every band that transcends genre has figured out how to sell you pop songs disguised as what you want to see them as. And that like that like and that's what it boils down to. Like songs are the only thing that drive this business is songs. So like, see when people come, all oh, this shit about this, and fuck that, like, oh man, guitar solos, fuck that. Like, because without a song, what are you, what you're listening to? Like words, melodies, music, they, they change your life. And I think that's what's lost in music now that we don't have a value of the song. And you can hear that through like, I mean, you can see it one in the fact that we don't pay for songs and you can see it in the rate of streams, but then you can see it in the standard of songs that now exist compared to like, 2000s, 90s, 80s, and, and going back the way. Do you think music's become too disposable? Because I remember when I was young, I'd get an album, and I would get an album and I'd play it to death. I'd buy like three or four albums, and just con- they were the albums I'd play constantly, whereas now, I mean, you go on streaming sites, you do. You, you, I, I still, I'm an album person, so much as like the likes yeah. of Spotify and all that, playlists and stuff, I listen to albums, because the way I've always seen it, and artists will tell me, people write an album in an order for a reason. It's to tell almost a story. Yeah, supposedly the album. I've always been album based. That's what I listen to. Whereas young my, my lad, he's like he's a lot younger. He's playlists like playlists, and I'll say, have you not? Have you had this album? He's like, no, but I've had one song maybe. But I'm like, well, listen to the album because actually it's... the album tracks are usually the more interesting ones in terms of if it's an act that does well because they're not radio friendly. They're a bit more meaning. Yeah. It's also the, the, the greatest experience when you, you listen to an album and you do. We all got the singles first, but then the more you listen to it, you realise, like, oh, my God, track eight's my favourite. And then and then eventually you meet someone and you say, ever heard that song? And they say, yeah, and then you go, oh, my goodness. And then the next thing, you've got this whole thing. And, like, <clears throat> yeah, I do I do think that, like, so, music's lost its value, though. I think it's, it's sometimes easy to, to blame individuals or whatever but like the system has no value like there's no value in music so like they've they've been marketing bullshit to us for years and people have just got sick of paying for bullshit and and i always say this but people still pay for like tv people still pay to watch sports channels people still pay for total cinema people pay for film because film has protected its value even down to this when you go into netflix whatever the standard of netflix is there's no wee counter that says 10 million views so you watch it with the perception of whatever you're watching it. When you see it in Spotify, 10 million views, well, that must be better than a 1,000 listens. Mm-hmm. So what 
even that measurement in music devalues it because you're putting you're putting a a, a number on something that you can't put a number on. It's because... like it's like, it's like what you, sorry to interrupt, Matt. It's like what you say with you know you said a minute ago about algorithms and things. You know, the track tracks that have twenty million listens are, are going to pop up before um, anyone listens to tracks with you know five thousand listens. And I'm not saying it's like. I'm not like someone that's going to go around saying that we shouldn't have streaming, but there needs to be a better model of it. Or like, you know, I'm I'm kind of in favour of like I really think that Spotify should be what it is, is like a major label marketing tool. And when you go on it, you're it's like it's like subscribing to Netflix. You know what you're getting, and it's like there should be another streaming service for independent artists. It's like Apple TV, and you know when you go on Apple TV, the standard is higher because there's less programs. It's a lot more about the writing than that. And the production was Netflix, when you watch stuff now, you can kind of tell that they're half-finished scripts and they're trying to fire out stuff to keep up with the demand. And it's starting to devalue itself, whereas... You know what I mean? It's like, And that's fine, because that's what it is, and that has its... But people don't just subscribe to Netflix. And it's the idea that all music has to be in Spotify. It doesn't... All music doesn't have to be heard. Some music's shit. And we just have, but Spotify, like anything on, there's no gatekeepers anymore. And some... and. All that's happened is it's devalued music and it's devalued the worth of professional artists. Yeah. The other thing I can relate to, and see the 90s, you used to always like get pirate music, like pirate radio and stuff like that, and folk would be like stealing music before mm-hmm. you could get like internet. So that was pirate radio and you could find out about music, but you were doing it in a wrong way because you're not, like let's face it, I'm not going to go somewhere, say for example you're talking about art, you don't get art for free and like music mm-hmm. is art, like it's creative. So you're almost stealing someone's music. Yeah, but it's also like, like anyone could pirate a film, but like it would be a worse standard, and you know you're not supposed to do it. So you, there are still people who will pirate films, but like the music industry's solution to pirating was like, well, see, instead of them stealing it, just give them it free. And it's like we, <laughs> you've just taken away the value. Like, mm-hmm. I, and this idea that two, two myths: one being that live makes all the money, and like music's the menu is a nonsense especially when something like COVID happens and you can't tour. But secondly, most artists who came through COVID probably thought, I'm glad to not be touring because most of my time touring has been a loss. It's the same artists that make major profits from tours are the same ones that make major profits from music because they're part of that elite percentage of artists who get invested in. And everybody else is down. I think that the latest statistic is something like 89% of professional music musicians in the UK don't make the minimum wage a year. Like that's a failure of a business. No, there's no, and they're boasting these record profits. Well, how how is that? How have you succeeded if mm-hmm. the people who make your business happen? Could you imagine if you you opened up the football, like ninety percent of footballers didn't make the living wage? You would just be like flabbergasted because they're the ones that play football. It would be inconceivable. But that's what's happening in music. The whole thing I remember, like when COVID first started, and then we found out it was serious. The government are trying to say to creative and creative people. Get, we'll just get a different job then. Yeah. <laughs> no. But like, then it's like after all your oh, all your work, all the work that people do to get into music and do music for what they love, or just go and get a job as a plumber, or go. You can't just get another job as a. You need to train for plumbing. Was it like I don't know if it was if just music. I think it is music in terms of music. It's all that because music obviously has several industries. Like, it's worth eleven billion to the UK economy. Like, but then fishing wins and loses elections, and fishing's worth one billion. So like, it's worth 
over 10 times what the fishing industry is. But music is a vehicle for change and they don't want social change because that, that's how you inspire people out of situations is through arts. So to invest in arts is to invest in people who might pull away from what governments in power want to be the case really cynically, you know what I mean? So they don't want people to have like social mobility. Well, I've got a theory that we should have musicians in politics because the only people I trust are musicians. <laughs> I don't think I trust a musician, to be fair. No? No. Well, but, but musicians kind of tell it like it is in terms uh, of their, yeah. their, their, their songwriting. Yeah, maybe songwriters. I don't, I don't know if I'd want a bass player in the country or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it depends what I will, maybe not. It'd be like no, Alex, Alex James would be cheese, cheese and wine. It would have to be like a, a, a test. Like if they have any more than four strings in their bass player, they kind of get in because it's just going to be, they're going to be like putting snarky puppy into schools or something, shit like that. At, at the side of the side of the, the House of Commons smoking a fag. Yeah. Did you get to do that? That was like a thing, like bass players had to smoke a fag on stage. <laughs> but do you know what? I think it is more than just musicians. I think it's just that they need to put more ordinary people in politics and, and like people who are of their field. Like it should like the head of health shouldn't be someone that's just worked in business like it should be someone that's worked in health the head of teaching shouldn't be someone that's worked in the fucking transport department they should be someone that was a teacher mm-hmm. and it's like the, the right now people in, who are in politics have just gone through school doing politics and became politicians a lot of them have yeah. gone to like private schools and stuff like that like they don't even, have even, any even the, even the so even the quote-unquote good ones yeah you know? i mean they, they all are they all they all really are the same, and they don't. There's not a lot, but you know, I, think, I suppose we've gone off piece here a wee bit, but, but like, there's not a lot of them from the same world as, as most ordinary people. No. And and I do feel like a, a, that that in becoming to like football because I, I suppose that's what the podcast and that is going to be about. Like, I do feel like that's why a lot of the things through COVID with football was that like really weighted at footballers because they are often people who have come from like a work working class background and, and reached a level of comparable status or wealth as people who never wanted them to have that. Whereas like in, in other sports, that's not the same or another field. You know, I, 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 I think music's not a business anymore that people who are working class tend to come through and succeed. It, it does tend to be people who are rich enough to stay in the business. So like football is one of those sports that have, and one of those organisations that still has that ability to take people from one social economic background and make waves but then but so that's why it scares me a little when people say don't don't bring politics into football it's like, but you're almost stifling your own voice by saying that because that's what they want they don't want your players to have your views at the top like you should want it in football because quite probably a, a lot of the players in the team actually will represent what you say because they came from where you came from we're, we're even seeing a shift on football where i think football's almost become like a not a light thing it's not working class anymore because People need to pay to go and play for teams like you. I mean, your teams mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You don't see. I mean, I don't know about you, but where I stay, Talbot, massive in terms of football. Football's the biggest thing here, but you don't see folk playing in just your normal public parks. People need to yeah. go and play with clubs and and organise like these cages that you pay. I don't know. Everyone pays five pound a head to play. Well, like when I was we, I don't know about you guys, but you just went out and kicked a ball in the street on concrete. <laughs> Uh-huh. Jumper, jumper for goalposts. But I mean, but I, I mean, I, 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 I agree, I agree with you. Um, I agree with you, John. But I think we're, we're a far way away from from football no longer being the working class sport, um, because it is dominated. And 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 all the, I mean, the vast majority of top, um, 
top top footballers who came from working class roots. And you know, um, you know, Marcus Rashford is the perfect example of that. Yeah. He's a perfect yeah. example of that. He's a you know, someone like him. Even even you know, I mean, for blending football and politics, even like Gary Neville, he's, he's from a working class background. Um, you know, and and most players are. It's probably why. And, and and being totally cynical here, it's probably why most th- footballers are pretty thick because they're, they're from working class backgrounds. All they've ever wanted to do is play football. Um, they've never been really high achievers, you know, academically and things like that. Um, uh, do you think so? Because I feel like a lot of footballers are quite like well versed and outspoken nowadays. And like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's an un- like Jeff spoke last week about unconscious bias. I think it's a bit stereotypical for us to say that footballers are not clever because there's no way these guys like like Marcus Rashford, Jordan Henderson, when there was all this stuff about like helping the homeless and helping different people. All these characters uh, yeah, are but I don't, I don't, yeah, but I don't think and, you need to be I don't think you need to be I don't think you know I don't think you need to be smart or, or, or intelligent to be a good person. I suppose mm-hmm. it depends what you I mean, I mean, I mean, I totally agree that they because there's emotional smartness as well, intelligence. Emotional intelligence is massive. Mm-hmm. I do. I do think that's the one thing I always try and say. Though is like education, and it's like the biggest privilege we have in Scotland because it's free, and it's like yeah. just take that opportunity to learn. Because like they 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 expect being like like you know being from Ayrshire and being working class, they expect you to feel like you know what I mean. And you just have to prove. Well, I'm always like, you just have to prove. The biggest thing people always say, <laughs> say to me, and I don't know if it's like a, a, a black thing or an Ayrshire thing, but they always say like, you're so articulate, but in this way as if they didn't expect me to be. And it's like, well, you know, I went to fucking school as well. Like, what do you mean I'm articulate? Like, of course I am. Like, it's it's interesting because if we go on a stereotype, right, I saw this, I think it was before Christmas, and you put up a post on Twitter about someone came up to you and went, you get any ganja? Oh, Christ. Assume, just, just assuming that you would smoke because of your hair. Style. Yeah. Like, the way you look, like it's crazy. Man, look, look at my teeth. I don't smoke. <laughs> you keep gnashes like that. It's smoking the ganja. No, like, if you go on the internet, listeners, you'll see that Bill Bear's got a lovely set of teeth. Yeah, honestly, man, my dentist is always raving about it. I mean, <laughs> you got, so you got a sticker, super Ted sticker. Yeah, I, I always took the sticker instead of the lolly. First football question from PG Saletta actually. He yes. asks, because we know you like Scotland more than club football, would that be fair to say? In terms of national team a bit or mm. yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean nah, whatever I like. Whatever. Right. That's what I, I mean, I think I know what should be your answer, but whether it's the same answer is what I think might be different. John McGinn or Billy Gilmore? Like it had to be like he's, he's an Irish boy. Come on, yeah. he's, from, he's from he's from like, he doesn't understand. But this is this is the thing as well. Like like do do I love the national team more than club? It's it's hard. It's for different times for different things because you're always proud to be Scottish. But like, like I love it so much just now because Steve Clark and he's just such a great manager and and he's, and he's fair, an Irish. He's fair, yeah, no, I was just going to say, Matt. You know, um, that, that was I, I brought this up in my previous podcast. One, it was one one of the proudest moments um, that I, of of the Euros last year was, um, and when when we were in, when I was in Wembley uh, watching the game and Billy Gilmore absolutely bossed it, mm-hmm. um, and he came off and he, and Steve Clark gave him a big embrace, and you know there was two Ayrshire boys just gave England a football lesson. 
Yeah, it was just I was like so just proudest punch. I, I, I think I think sometimes people don't get it because they don't realise in Ayrshire this constant pressure to just kind of be from Glasgow instead because like people things don't come to Ayrshire so like people don't get how much it, they, they think oh well Ayrshire it's near Glasgow you must have loads of opportunity but it's not it's the it's almost like you're seen as some subsidiary of Glasgow mm-hmm. so it just it means a lot and like Billy Gilmore obviously like coming back to Ross and handing out medals and that for the young. Team and that's just like just the class guy that loves where he's from, and that's like so Billy Gilmore for me, and all the way. And man, the fucking bullshit in Norwich now, them giving him stick and booing him oh. as if he's the fucking problem. The club's like, get a grip, exactly. Like, where will Billy Gilmore be in five years, and where will Norwich be in five years? Totally, and I'm not nothing against Norwich, it's just, like, I'm just, yeah. I've got a lot of friends down there, but like, just the attitude their fans have towards, but I don't know if that's just an anti Scottish thing or something, I don't know what it is, but like. Do you, do you go to Scotland games at all? Like, did it? Or... Yeah, I've been to a, a couple, and I really want it. You know, like one of my favourite memories was like uh, the Scotland England game, and it was, it was like three each. Was that like when was that? Yeah, like Griffiths, when Lee Griffiths scored a double. Yeah, like what, just what an, I, I was in the pub and for that in Glasgow and just what an atmosphere and like just one of those ones where you're like everyone in the pub's just hugging and like ah oh my god we're all like this again. It's that thing of like. It's hard to know what it means if you aren't Scottish because, like, we've had so many years of like of being this close, or like we've had a lot of years of being like, oh well, like, like almost being too obsessed with this underdog thing, where and as like a a defence mechanism for not instead of being like, you know, what we actually have in us to be good enough, and and it's just been so lovely because I I remember like, you know, my love for Scotland started like when I was so wee and like. You know, back in the John Henry years and that, and I remember like making like cupcakes and all that for my first years with my mum. Like she made such a big thing of it, and it was like, and I had my wee Scotland strip, and it was like, I feel like that just disappeared. Like after, like because we we didn't get into tournaments. Like it hit me when it hit me when we got in. I was like, there's so many people who haven't experienced what this feels like because I'm I I I was lucky enough to have seen it and then gone through that whole thing of like, ah, oh, Scotland, we always lose, and there's loads of kids like and loads of teenagers who for the first time were seeing what it felt like to be in a major tournament and by the way perform quite well like to really you know that England game 0-0 I know it wasn't any goals but they held a, a, a phenomenal England team to task like and you know so it just it's just like because I, I, I'm, I, I'm a I played rugby you know I, I kind of love for rugby as well but it's like different, like in it, it's just a different feeling, it's just a different sport and it means more. It's And it's been so many lows, especially in the last 20 years. It's interesting because it was... I kept on going, but I'm quite privileged to be older and remember when I was going up to Scotland, just always qualify for tournaments. Right. But then my son, I would tell him like, oh yeah, we used to qualify and he's like, so I, took him, I started taking him to games when he was like, I don't know, eight or something like that. And he's like watching some absolute... No disrespect, some absolute dross. Like you were going, and you kind of got to the point you were like, after, and you, you kind of do put things in the context of money. Sometimes you go, I've just spent sixty quid on tickets, and I kind of watched it on TV, and had the same outcome. Whereas yeah. it got to like the build up to like the Euros, which was the most bizarre tournament ever because obviously you know twenty twenty it gets delayed. So we're thinking, oh well, hopefully we'll get to like games next year with capacity crowds. But see the buzz that he had in terms he was going with his pals to watch it or going around with his pals and like 
the, the feel good factor was back. I, I lost the feel good factor myself because I was getting fed up yeah. going. They changed the kickoff times to like awkward times. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a Saturday because Saturday's football day. Like Saturday is football. That, that's the way I see football. Wait, I see was buzzing to go as pals and see yeah. Scotland be good again. And and, and that's the first time in years I went out and like bought a top. Because I was just buzzing to be wearing the top they were wearing, like because I just hadn't been keeping up with it, and and then you go and every time you went to the shop, they were like sold out, and everyone was wearing them, and it was like a, it was like a real like community thing, like it was just a, a, a national pride, and I think we we needed that, like we need that kind of belief, and and like coming to Kilmarnock, like when I really started to fall in love with that whole thing was like when Steve Clark was there. It it wasn't just about like doing well or whatever it was like you could feel the effect in the town like you could feel that there was a belief in that community that you know like Kelly can do something like Ayrshire can do something and and I think that's worth more than like than like the old firm in a way because like they it's so common to them that Glasgow's got so much going for it it doesn't mean it's to get to the premiership like that Leicester season means so much to like so many people because it's out with the norm so like People, people might laugh when we we celebrate a draw against England, but they don't know. Like, also, like if you don't think that was a good game, I'm I'm not sure like what football you are watching. If you don't, if you can't see that a team who went on to reach the finals got held by Scotland in that way, as good, like you're just kidding yourself on. You don't, un- you're just one of those people that watches football every week just to say you watch or something because like that that was like a masterclass and a setup and and. For me, like shows the strength of Steve Clark as a manager, which some people, for whatever reason, like, I come across a lot when you're talking like circles. A lot of people kind of shut Steve Clark, and I'm like, but why? Like, this is the best Scotland have done in so long. How could how could you possibly think he's not fit for the job? I don't understand where that attitude comes from. See, on when you mentioned about buying a top during the summer, so the other John that does the podcasts, he asked, "What's your favourite Scotland kits of all time?" Mm. I think see. Uh, you know the one that was like was it maybe ninety six and it was like a bit of purple through it. It, it was umbral like the purple, like the purple that, and red, that... the white one. Nah, it was like blue, but like it had t- tinges of purple through it, like in in waves. I can't. Do you know? What I... Is it the tartan one. Yeah, maybe maybe it was ninety six. Like... Was it a home? Was it a navy home kit? Yeah. And it had, um, yeah, I think I know the one you mean. Was it? Was it like check? It had a little bit of purple coming across there and like a checkered kind of yeah uh, tartney and I think that's I think it's because that's my first memory of like oh like oh Scotland Euro 96 Euro 96 yeah it must have been Euro 96 yeah aye yeah. Not, not like the first one I had either because I had one like later than that but that's like in my mind, that's like, oh, that's like, such, see, when I see that ship, it's like a great memory. And I remember those, for some reason, it makes me think of those, remember those wee, like, footballers, pod guys that you have know, the big heads, like, what were they called? Like, oh, oh, Scott collects them. Uh, you got something as well, Josh? Oh, mate, yeah. I've got one here. Yeah, the other thing I remember, yeah. you're on 96, that you would go at the garage and you had the Texaco coins. Yeah. For them, you would get a coin and it was like the player's faces on them. No, well, I, don't, I was too proud time, yeah. before my time. Was it driving? But I, I remember going. You would get, you go in and you'd be like, "Oh, yeah, these coins," and you like collected them as if it was like an album. <laughs> yeah, and I think I'm, I'm going to look this up right now because I feel like I need to know. Uh, but I think 
Aye, the figurines. I, I feel I feel like when I got those wee figurines, I always got Colin Henry. <laughs> I just had like <laughs> ten Colin Henrys, and that was it. <laughs> See, I've got an I've got an Antonio Valencia one kicking about here somewhere. How, I bought if I Antonio Valencia, that's like the most I don't, random. I don't know, mate. I, I bought a, I bought, half. That's totally Josh. I, all I bought back. I bought a Venezia kit um, the other the other month there, and uh, they they sent me a, a wee one of the wee bobblehead uh, things along with it, and it was an Antonio Valencia one. Was it from like a like supply shops type thing? Where buying uh, one of the and, online, yeah, get, one yeah, of the yeah. online kind of places. I, because uh, uh, the boy he got what did he get recently? He got like a top, and again, it had a big figurine. He got Mourinho mm-hmm. actually. Can't remember the player he got, but he got Mourinho. I thought that's pretty cool getting a manager. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So he was pretty. He was pretty chuffed. Mm-hmm. We should give a plug to Supply Shots. You are one of our sponsors as well, by the way. Um. So if you want to get involved, get on Supply Shots. And you can get like some great kits. Like they only actually send out kits that they would actually wear themselves. Because some of these surprise shirt or mystery jet, like mystery tops, you get one and you know fine well they got them in M M&M Direct for like a tenner and they've sold them to you for like 35, 40 quid. So mm. generally surprise shirts, those are like class Argentinian tops, Mexican tops, they call the club tops. It, it is pretty good. I got a was a Kievo Verona one. It's got the buttons on the side, so it's got like the buttons on the sleeve. It's like mm-hmm. white with navy on it, and it was uh, it's top class. It's really hey, hey, Kievo, Kievo, uh, Hellas, uh, Verona, John. That's a good derby. Mm. The Verona derby, the Kievo on lovely because Kievo are like they got pumped out the league, did they not? I, oh, I forget. I forget. They either get relegated three divisions, or there was match fixing, uh, or something. Or they, or they went into yeah, yeah football like, in it. But uh, yeah, that's a great city as well. You know, if you're ever if you're ever out in Italy, Verona, love it. They go back. And we were supposed to go into Rome in bloody October, and then COVID and all that, and fed up with holidays getting cancelled. Um, but yeah, I need to get back to Rome. I love Rome. Mm-hmm. I like the Italian culture as well. So absolutely, and I know you I like do the Italian scran. Well, it's, and the beer. Yeah, and the beer. Like, aye. And the wine. Yep. And the well, right, okay. While we're on some of the Italian scran, because Aaron's not here, and the food chat, we like a bit of food chat on here, right? Nice. Now, be prepared for this most bizarre question you've ever probably had about food. Do you eat your pizza crust first or the inside first? Like, as in the toppings and all that? Definitely the inside first. Yeah, so... What one of the podcast team eats the crust first, and then eats the rest. But isn't the cold part in the crust to help you hold it to not get? We 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 we've been trying to tell her. Like honestly, it's I I think she's just doing it for effect to like try and wind us up. Well, you've got you've got to remember, Sean. I think Erin's a a member of the Prawn Sandwich Brigade, and so she probably ate her pizza with a knife and fork growing up. Uh, Well, like some of them said, they would eat a a pizza in a restaurant with a knife and fork. Like I don't care. Pizza is designed to eat. That's why it was designed. It was like to make it easy for like eating. I don't care where I'm going. I could be in like some. I don't know if you would get like a, pardon me, a three three Michelin star restaurant that sold pizzas, but regardless, I'm still eating it with my hands. Yeah, uh, I don't know, but I tell you what about food. Well, I suppose this isn't really food, but our guitar player always swears by like with a ton of steak kick to put it in the freezer for an hour before oh, you eat it, and it is amazing. Just okay. changes the texture. 
And I don't know if I'm supposed to tell people that because he's quite secretive about it, but he does it. And then he told me, and I was like, what? And he's like, just do it. And honestly, amazing. You get any, you get any weird, um, weird food quirks, John? I probably do, like, but I mean, I've, I, I mean, I've, I've got one. People always chin me about. You can, you can tell what you can tell me what you think of this. I, I, I often put my my crisps in the freezer. What? So like, like, like Doritos. Like Doritos. So see if you put Doritos, see if you put Doritos in the freezer for like an hour or two, start eating them freezing cold. They're really good. Wait, right, wait a minute, right. So I, I'll take a guess here, right. You have probably been drunk. You've bought Doritos <laughs> on the way home, and you've somehow gone into the freezer to get a pizza. Put the Doritos in by mistake, and that's how you discovered this. I think no. I think it happened. I mean, I've been doing it a lot longer than I've been doing it for. I was about fourteen. Um, I know, but I you're, from, a... you're from Oven, so I'm going to home from fourteen. Well, see you again. I'm going to get. I'm going to give. Was was it the bassist, Matt? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to give your bass... No, the guitar player, sorry. Oh, Andy. So what's this? Andy, I'm going to give Andy's Tonox tea cake uh, racket a shot. I'm going to get a, a packet of six tomorrow. Right? Aye, but to be fair, like some folk put chocolate in the fridge so I can see the freezer thing because all you're doing is intensifying the coldness. It's, it's not even that. It, ch- it changes it to from being like a bit of a chew to... I don't know. I can't explain. Just, just do it. Just do it. It's yeah. good. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if there's any other food questions. Oh, there is, yeah, I, there is. Yeah, I do. Oh, we, we have one as well. Yeah, well, uh, we have the, the standard. The most important one, Matt. Um, do you have a favourite type of pie? <laughs> a favourite football pie? Yeah, well, a favourite well, well, football pie or a favourite football piece of piece of uh, food <laughs> or something <laughs> that you would have at the football. Well, 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 this is uh, there's levels to this question. So one, I have to say, Kelly pies are the best. Yeah, yeah. Yep. However, I've heard that St Johnson's pies are actually the best, and they have the most unique choices. Yes, I've never been to St Johnson's grounds. So I don't know. The steak and chorizo that we keep on hearing about most weeks. Yeah, is supposedly yeah. insane. But I, I'm I'm veggie now, so I don't have a lot of oh, joy. Oh no! Yet. Oh no! Don't. Right, don't because Erin will listen to this, and Erin's favourite is a macaroni pie. Oh, aye, I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm a veggie, not a monster. Aye, I don't, I don't, I don't mind them, but they wouldn't even be in my top ten. Erin likes a top five of things, like she's a top five. I don't I, know. I, I definitely think, like for me, when I was eating meat, like something like a chicken and chorizo pie. Would have been like the business. Chorizo's yeah. just got a thing, done it. The smell of it, is it, it ever, one of the best smells ever. You ever been to Dundee to like Clark's the Bakers, and they do like you can get like bolognese pies and all that. Do anything in the pie, it's class. Ooh. I like Dundee for a night out. Good place for yeah gigs as well. We've got to oh. see Luke Lavolt later in the year. Oh uh, nice, is that a church? I, I think it probably is. Yeah, the last time I was at church was after the View farewell gig in Dundee at Caird Hall. Well, because I know you're good pals with Kyle. Yeah, but that was a, and it was my birthday. Right about the time of my birthday, insane gig, and then we found out they were doing the after show party. So I've been to Dundee a couple of times now. That I got made that stays there, but I never really really knew the kind of music scene there in terms of where you go for like decent music and stuff. Went in there, and they're all there playing. You're chatting away to them. It was just like not just guys doing what they love, but you're yeah, it's interacting. Sound yeah, like, I love Dundee, but they put Kamarnik into. The championship, so I don't love them as much. 
that, that was one I wanted to ask you, Matt. Um, just jo- John's remind me there. I so I I seen you once supporting Kyle, uh, uh, and I think it was in Kelly. Was it Baker's? Um, Baker's, yeah. I, I saw you support. You, did you support? Kyle did you support? Plus. You supported them. At, uh, what was that? Sorry. Did you support them at Baker's in Kelly? Um, I don't know if I was this. No, no I, I, it might not have been Bakers and Kelly then, because I've, I've, I've seen Kyle in the view so many times. I, I mean, oh, yeah, I've supported so him, but, but like, I would have been with him for those shows for sure. I, I yeah. was at her managed him for like three years, so like if I wasn't playing, I was there. I was definitely at the Baker show, but I can't remember if I played or not. What about so the, mon- that, the that, monkey bar? Did you support my monkey bar? Remember the monkey bar that I, used to be? I played the in the monkey bar once, but that was supporting uh, Fatherson, but when they were called yeah. Energy. Ah, right, okay. See, I've definitely support, seen you support Kyle, I'm pretty sure at some point. Yeah, maybe. Then, I mean, in so many places. So, yeah. And when we did that first tour where I was kind of like half tour managing, it was like me, uh, Kyle and Billy Mitchell in a van. And I was playing the shows while looking after it. And actually by the end of the tour, I think there were shows I didn't play because it just became too much too much work, too stressful to be doing the show as well as like the, the management of the tour. I was supposed to see Billy Mitchell last month, but the tour, the gig that we scheduled. Uh, I, I saw Billy on Friday. I went through. I went to free through to Dundee to see him. Yeah, it was class. Like, good. He's uh, good seems like a good guy. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, like on media, we were doing all that. We've had a wee few chats, and uh, I think he was pretty gutted about the fact the the tour stopped because he was week before Christmas. It's like yeah. December's a special time for gigs. Yeah, to get it pulled so late as well. I think it's a gutter, but I think it's. For the best, because I think he would have been playing to like a really just. I think people didn't have the confidence to go, so I think it's like it seems rubbish, but really it'll be better when he plays when it's busy. It's... So, sorry, sorry, John. So I was just going to ask. So, so, what is what is your favourite gig venue that you've played at, and your favourite gig venue that you've been to a gig at? Badlands for both, isn't it? Especially in the road. Yeah, that's, that's cool. just discussion closed. Yeah. <laughs> What is it that's so special about the Barrowlands? Is some is someone that's played the Barrowlands? It's just where, like... did, where did you play the Barrowlands, Josh? Oh, I mean, Matt played. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> Come on, unless, you, unless you're I, out there. Unless I talk, unless I talk about the Barrowland puggy. <laughs> <laughs> never say never, Josh. I believe in you. But uh, it's just like. It's just got a, a vibe. I can't explain it, man. From the minute you walk in, it's just electric and like. And it's funny when you look, <laughs> when you look out the window of like the, the dressing room, you can actually see the electricity sparks coming from the wires that are unplugged. It's, it's like falling to bits, but it's amazing. And it's also because of that spring floor, because it has a spring floor from being a ballroom. Yeah, so I've heard the, that. I've, I always thought that was an urban myth. Nah, it does. You can see the crowds going like that in a wave because the, the floor is bouncing with them. It's, wow. And and <clears throat> I saw the Libertines uh, return show, like the first show they had back at that Barrens. And, you know, I, we, we were the support. I was like, amazing to be here, blessed, blessed and all that. And like, obviously like, kind of know the Libertines, like loved a bit of their stuff. But I wasn't mad on them. I, I, I never thought to myself like, I never, I never seen them live at this point, so I'd never fully understood why they were iconic. And then I saw them at the Barrowlands, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is, this is something else that you'd ha- you had to be there to understand." But like, it was unbelievable, and it was the atmosphere in that room. It's just, it's the area, it's everything about it. It's just like, 
it feels like one of the last true venues. It's not like a lot of new venues, and I love them in their own way, are very like clean in that or whatever. It's just, I don't know what it is, but there's something special about the Barrowlands. It's just like it can't be recreated anywhere else. And I, there's very few venues I've been in that have that same vibe, one or two. See, as someone who's got no musical ability, much as I've got about five guitars, which is just in, stupid, like anytime you know a band's playing at the bars, you're like, you've got to go. Mm-hmm. Whereas other venues, you maybe go, I might not go, but the bar is just not, it just has that feel. As soon as you walk in, like, it's just as soon as you see the bloody front and you're like, there we go, right, straight away. Then you're in, merchandise, have a look at that, go up the stairs. You just want to, like, Mm. engross yourself in everything. Then the stars in the ceiling and it kind of feels like not totally clean. It is clean, obviously, but But it's got that old feel to it. Like, Mm -hmm. classic, it's classic. It's, it is, it, yeah, like, it's, like you're saying, John, it is so classic and there's so much, you know, when you think about the history of it and you think about the fact that you're standing in the same, I mean, it's a bit it's a bit grim to think of, right? But when you're thinking about, we're currently watching a band here in the same place that, like, Bible John was on the hood <laughs> you were say that? 40, 40 years ago, right? Or, or you know, but... But, but or or like how how many how many people's grandparents met at, at the dancing back in the nineteen fifties and all that and yeah. in this place and here we are 60, 60 years or whatever later and we're here to see um you know Joe Bloggs band that have just got together like a year and a half ago it's yeah special yeah. place I, we we wanted to do that as a video like having a like it go back to that time and it was like a ballroom thing at the it was originally the idea for Truth Out Consequence video so we've done two videos with michael hines who's the director of still game still game yeah yeah so we said to michael like maybe we'll do a third um and i was like we should do it we'll do the story and then i've really wanted to like try and get like a cameo at the end to make it like tie it into like still game but at that point still game actually came back so like it was like that was michael's schedule just like nah he's not available um so yeah that was a, a an original picture that video and then like it became that the video that is now, which was in the elevator, which kind of worked out because it was cool in its own way. But I just was like, yeah, I think we should try and do a video at the Barras, and that, I'm still to this day. I'm like, one day we're going to do a video at the Barras, and it's going to be like iconic. <laughs> I know that would be insane. See, um, what well, I had a question on the back of that. Oh, actually, I know it was in back off. So earlier on, talk about Kyle Faulkner and that, and when he first started playing, I know you're friends with a few bands and airstrobs obviously and stuff like that. So I've got not a question, more a kind of he just wants to wind you up. Who who is the Ayrshire Lawn City champion? It's me. Well, I mean, well, I, well, well I've, I've got I've got a different story. I've got a different champion. Well, Lyle, Lyle is only you see. I was I was winning first of all. <laughs> I, I'm I'm the king of Ayrshire, son. I mean, <laughs> secondly, I was winning. My, my somehow my home ground became like moss blown. I think his was Durbilton. And uh, he's just never come back since he won, he won once and he's just, that's it. Oh, so you're missing, like, missing in action. Was it the last game though? Is he like claiming like it was the last game so he's the champion? Because he, he told me, I was to tell you, he's the one shooting Ayrshire champion. So you're telling me definitely. Yeah, he is. I won the first game and I thought, gosh, I'm good at this and I've never won since. Because I'm pretty sure, see that guy at Baker's? If you were at it, Josh, the Rangers supported Kyle that night. Who? The Rangers. Uh, I, the I, Rangers I, I've seen him a couple of 
think he's played bikers twice. Seen them both. Times. He's played a few older, times. But, there was an older uh, band as well. I'm trying to remember the name of them. But was, man, I love Liam Kennedy. Very really great to say that. Like, well, he's coming on at some point. I was he good? He's, got, he's got a couple of projects, like obviously Luck of Royale vibes last year, one of the best new tunes out. And then what's a trash music, isn't it? Yeah, well. yeah. Well, me and Lyle wrote a song together, which is going to be on the new Brown Bear record as well. Oh, so, brilliant. Yeah, it was cool, man. We were just, I actually wrote it with, like with him for them. I was like, well, this is for like your stuff. And then I actually love playing it so much. I was like, nah, I bumped it back. And oh. I just like, man, like. Is, is that like, are we, have we got a wee, a wee insight there in terms of no one else knows us? That yeah, really... well, probably no one else does know that. Oh, actually. brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, See, go. we've got you. We've got ways of making you talk. Oh, yeah, we that? Could be We're getting exclusives exactly. exclusives exactly. Exactly. Uh, he seems like a, yeah, and, um, a good guy. Oh man, one of, one of the best. And uh, just like, again, so passionate about Airshine, just so passionate about like other bands. He's just, when he's like out there talking about bands, he's being genuine. You know, some people do it because they think, well, I'll get more thought. I don't know, this is kind of disingenuous to it, but like Lyle really like means it. And he's just walks around with like books of lyrics all the time he's just like man I've never seen someone write lyrics so much in my life so just what a guy like honestly and a high base supporter I don't know how you end up being a high base supporter from your because I think when I was messaging you about coming on the podcast I'd said that I saw you Lyle and Ricky Spence yeah at the Cal Faulkner signing at Saltcoats yeah it's one of them I knew who I know who you are I knew who he is Lyle is but I didn't want to go up and say hi how you doing because what do you say just that. <laughs> hi, how you doing? That, I'm good, mate. Right. <laughs> but then, like, normally, like, if you say hi, how you doing to a stranger, because effectively you are a stranger, but you would kind of, would you figure that it was probably because your music? Yeah, sometimes some people, some people come up to me and they'll say Matt and they'll talk to me for ages and, and then it's not till like the end of the conversation they'll maybe say something about the band and I realise that. I actually don't know them and it's okay. <laughs> they just know me because I'm racking my brain like, why don't I know who you are? Someone followed when I first moved to Camarot, by the way, like someone like followed me around Tesco's and I was like, I feel like that first following me and eventually came up and they're like, Could you could you take a picture of me? Like because you're a boom pair and I was like, Yeah, and they're like, What are you up to? And I was like, just just try to get my burritos and that. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> there's a weird thing where you feel this expectation to be cool and the, the reality is you're just fucking lame. So like people are like, What are you be up to, man? I'm like, you're thinking like, should I make up some mental story? And you're like, ah, just just buying bread. <laughs> so, shall we ask a question from our resident musician, Miguel? Yeah, go for he's it. Not, he's not here because he's in Ireland. He was 30 last year and his missus got him a trip to Vegas for his right. 30th. Nice. He's, not, he's obviously in Ireland just now, but that's a pretty good 30th present. It's amazing. What did you get for your 30th? Uh, do you know what? My, my partner actually got it. was amazing. I came in and she'd got a projector. Uh, my partner's a, an actress and a puppeteer. And it was just amazing. It's crazy. So I came in and she had made the living room into cinema. I got a projector and all that, all this all that mad stuff. And like, she bought me loads, loads, and loads of things, by the way. But that's the one thing I always want. She got me that. And like, my favorite song, one of my favorite songs is uh, Sunshine on Leaf. Yeah. And she got me like a, a vinyl disc that has a, a lyrics from that one in a really arty way. And so like, she got all these other things and kind of like pure into it. And it was just the wee gestures where I was like, oh my God, that's the best. The best thing ever, and so yeah, that was that was class. And we just had the projector watching like films for weeks. It was amazing. Probably one. Of, it's probably probably one of the best football songs ever. Yeah, Matt, Sunshine and Leaf. Oh, definitely the best. But it's just one of the best songs ever written. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a be- it's a beautiful song. It's so 
uh, it's just so when it comes out, it often comes on a Scotland away days when we go away, and it's just you know it, the fact that it's a you know the fact that it's a you know a hip song goes to, I mean just totally out the window just because it's such an anthem. Um, it's a Scottish classic, isn't it? Like, yeah. and it's amazing how how it can move you like that. You know, and Leith has like I think is quite like it has a lot of parallels to that. A lot of places like Ayrshire, where it's like a proper working place, and like it's got such a vibe to be in Leith. Like I know it's still part of Edinburgh, but it's its own wee kind of community. So yeah. it's almost like Leith, Leith. Leith is symbolic for a lot more than just you know the part the you know this wee area of 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 Edinburgh. It's almost as if Leith is. Yeah. Um, it's, it actually, I've, I've always felt I've always felt that way actually about Deacon Blue's dignity as well, yeah. um, and and that th- there's a song on the surface. It's a song about a wee boat, um, a wee guy saving up his money and getting a boat. But actually, it's it's one of the ultimate working class anthems because yeah, it's a, it's about a, a wee guy who works for the council uh, and he, all he wants is to save up his money and buy a wee dinghy. Um, yeah. And it's just it's, it's amazing um, how, how music like that can move you, and the, when you think about the deeper meaning. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, Matt, um, is, and this is this is probably be a pretty short one. So, in the uh, single for in the single cover for "Stop the World," uh, is a, a photo of you uh, chucking a guitar, plus uh, yeah. a guitar case. Yeah. Um, off a kind of hill right now in the background you're on the coast where is that shot and how did you shoot it I, the shot is in the Haley Bray above looking onto Larg so just at, I thought so at the, the, at the fishery yeah. when you turn in before the dump yeah. mm-hmm. and I genuinely fucking launched my guitar off a cliff now was there a guitar in that case uh, maybe I mean, it's not you, you can't launch it the same without some weight. Yeah, because uh, it would just blow away because it's so light. So yeah, there was a guitar in that case, and the, and the case is totally fucked. Was it your guitar or someone else's? That is my guitar, but it was an oh, older, it was an uh, old, an shit older guitar. I didn't put one of my good, but, but that being said, I quite often launch my guitars at the end of a show, even though they're acoustics. Yeah. So, speaking Get of guitars, excited man. <laughs> speaking of guitars, I've got a question uh, from. Jordan Allison from Show Racism the Red Card. He oh. asked he asked uh, me to ask you what is your favourite guitar brand? Faith Guitars, because I'm endorsed by them and I have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, genuinely as Faith Guitars, like they're just beautifully made acoustics and I went in to get when we played uh, Tea in the Park, when you get your royalties, you get like a good wee payout, and I thought I'm gonna buy my first pro guitar with this and I went because I, I play acoustic so like obviously like I love a wee Fender and stuff like that and playing electric so I don't know what my electric guitar would be but but do you know what well, I'll get to that in a second so because I play acoustic I went in to get like a Martin or a Taylor like the usual thing and, and the guy at the shop said you know try out this Faith guitar <clears throat> we just got it in and it's the first guitar in however many years it's had like 100% review in like all these guitar magazines I was like, and I just played it and it just felt right. And I was like, wow, I think this is for me. And I got it. And I was playing it on a tour and uh, uh, the Baby Shambles tour. And the tech said to me, oh, my, my friend works for that company. I'll introduce you. And he, he was at the show and he was like, oh, I can't believe you're playing that guitar. And we were talking about it. And I was like, oh, we'd love to endorse you. And then I never had an endorsement in my life. So that came really early on. Like they took the punt. Like there was no, re- we weren't big enough to uh, warrant having a guitar endorsement. And we did Tea in the Park again. Um, was it the last second last year at the Park? Maybe the last year at the Park. 
and they sent me up a guitar because we were on TV for it. And then, yeah, we just kept in touch. They were just really great for like keeping in touch and seeing like, you know, if there was ever issues with guitars or whatever, like I could send them down. There was a brief period where I felt like they might have been a bit annoyed because they saw a video of me at a festival launching the guitar. <laughs> Fucking fruit. So like I, sometimes I just throw it and, and the techs kind of know I'm going to do it and whatever, like they're planned. But I didn't realise how low the ceiling of the stage was and it came straight down and hit the monitor and the bottom of the guitar came out. It was a fucking disaster. Oh. Um, so I learned my lesson a little bit. And um, so, yeah, but then, then they relaunched, uh, they, so they relaunched an electric guitar from the 60s called Shergold. And now, um, and yeah, I've got a masquerader and oh, was it the provocateur they sent up for me? And so I was like the cover photo for it and I was in like total guitar and all that and the ads part, like I was the face of that guitar going out and doing the photo shoots and that and uh, but like the electrics just plays amazing it's stuff I think it's because they all they make it all here and like it's genuinely the people they say they make it make it and you could phone up that guy and say yeah, I've got this issue and they would have like when they were making mine they're like oh you know we and we know you you're gonna because I talked to them for ages like I, I wanted to stay with the company for their amp and I, and I actually ended up traveling to Perth to try one of them that was the closest place I could go and try one and I was like it's just not for me I'm going to stay with I've got a Fender hot, hot rod I was like I've got to stay with Fender for the amp and they were like no but well, I appreciate you saying that and they put in like custom pickups for me and stuff so like I, I mean you know, I could pick up the phone to them and I could be like I'm in Germany if you got up somewhere I could get a guitar whatever it is so I've gone off the topic here, which is faith, but there's a reason for it. It's not just the standard of guitar, but it's the standard of care that comes with being a player for that guitar, you know, like, so, so yeah, to me, faith guitars are the best acoustics are just so beautifully made and they sound amazing. And um, I've got one they set up, it's like a, a mahogany, like when it's just stunning, you know. We do like an endorsement on the podcast. So see, when you found out you were getting an endorsement, did you feel like your balls were like the biggest balls ever? Like, um, I've made it here. Because I'll tell you why. So yesterday I was like, I went to see Josh. I had a wee gift for him from our sponsors, Manscaped. Yeah. So Manscaped, you do the shavers for below the groin or other products. So Josh, you must be feeling good today in terms of getting the new product, first of all. I was trying to think of the, I'll, do you know, I was thinking about this, uh, you know, coming on the pod tonight, and I, and I knew we were going to do the sponsor. And I thought, I'm trying to, I knew we were doing a kind of, kind of music special. And I, and I thought, well, I was trying to think of uh, like album related puns, but I couldn't think. That, I mean, the closest I could get was um, Green Day's um, 1036 Smooth Out Slappy Hours, which was which was the first album. Um, but I couldn't think. I couldn't think of anything else that anything else ball related, but. Uh, the the package that you brought up to me from Manscaped yesterday mate, is absolutely top notch. Like, and you got the full package. You got the full package as well, not just the. Wasn't it full package? I oh mate, there was a hundred. There was hundreds in there, like absolutely hundreds. It was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's 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 been like a belated Christmas present. Well, it was. It was because obviously the podcast before the end of the year was a quiz. No, mm-hmm. it was before the quiz. But then we get we were getting told we were getting gifted products. You use it. You were telling me the Tiny Tim story. You only had the 2.0, so I, we made sure we got a 4.0 for you. You've upgraded. So your boss will be, like, ideal for 2022. A shame it wasn't, like, the day before when you're going to the wedding. Because, like, you'd had the kilt on and your boss would have had good air about them. But yeah, you went with yeah just got to hope there wasn't a gust of air or anything like that, you know. 
but that's what uk.manscape.com uh, 20% off and free shipping off all the products uh, they're really good to us as I say they are gifting products to you I've still would get presents in the post for people that are in the quiz remember we did the jingles and all that yep, yep. The jangle ball so I'm going to send them um, I've been yeah so they'll get it sent out as well so yeah get involved if you've not already got your Manscaped products because they are tremendous with that Ma, as a musician, then can you come up with some uh, music, uh, some ball-related music songs or albums? Oh, ball! I thought I was going to be like shaving. I was going to say shave my gown. That's like my my partner said this to me the other day. So we dribbled up. She was like, "Your actual superpower is to make a pun out of any name." <laughs> like and I feel in pressure, but like ball, I'll think about ball, like balls. What would it I be? I like a pun. See, I, I do. You, Josh, you, you know what I'm like. They might be not, might not be the greatest puns. But I like them. I try them. Yeah, yeah you got it. Like it's like darts. Like I keep on going for the bullseye. What, sometimes what, at one point, sometimes that's the bullseye. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, great balls are fire, but that's like too easy. That's like too easy. Yeah. Uh, there must be like it, like a really bad beach ball, but that's pretty bad. The nineties dance tune was it beach ball? Just called beach ball, or was the beach ball dance? I remember. So I'm like a. a, a a 90s person in terms of growing up and one of your maybe like Big Fish Wee Fish and all that cardboard box one was like beach ball and you'd just be going like that it was pretty crap dance it was just like as if you're bouncing a beach ball <laughs> never mind the box surely never mind the box ah uh, there you are yeah, yeah, yeah it's not even a pun it's just the album isn't it? yeah that's just it <laughs> aye so maybe after a never mind the bollocks your sets will be great with your pistol maybe <laughs> 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 you take it out too far we should probably move on uh, back to football Kamarik Derek McInnes you please with yeah. yeah I think so I mean he, he had such a great time at like Aberdeen he did amazing things here and obviously a lot of folk have, have had to pull eight hours because be a lot of people have, have ripped into him when he was in the opposing side but I think he's like a you know I, I liked after the party game he, he, like, he was really honest about the performance even though we were up until like the 86 minute and then it was a draw he said you know we didn't look like we were going to win and we weren't good enough and it's not not degrading the team but like, we just need to do better and it'll be interesting to see it's his first home game obviously this this weekend I think the Dundee uh, Cup game but I just I, th- I think it's good to have like a, a, a kind of settled manager and, you know obviously like after Steve Clark Alex Dyer has like seemed like a, such a good guy and like he, he was great in the managerial team, but he, he, I don't think he ever wanted to be the, the manager, so it was never going to work out. Yeah. Uh, such a short spell for, I was at Alessio as the Italian book, and then, um, like, I don't know, like, I, I just didn't think it was ever going to work out with Tommy. Like, it never felt, it felt like, maybe just as a placeholder to get to a certain point, but it, like, it should never have gone on as long. And, you know, again, it's like, it's that thing in it where it's like, He's, he's been a manager before. He's not obviously been a great manager, but it wasn't the right person at the right time and where, where the club's at. Like I think having someone like Denham Kinnison, like I think it's going to be a, a good thing overall, and hopefully like a bit of a return to like a kind of a, a consistency that they had under Steve Clark. Because I think that's what they've lacked is like the biggest thing is lacking cons- consistency in it. And brought in a couple of good like there's a couple of good players maybe like that boy was Ash Taylor had like a great start against Partick he looked really strong and like again they didn't really do anything wrong like it was a total workhorse for the game so 
I don't know, man. I, I think I feel positive about it. I think it's going to be good, and I, and I, I really hope it's that thing that takes Kilmarnock back into the Premiership, having that kind of like strong figure. And from the offset, it does seem like the players respect him. So mm-hmm. like, that's what you need. You need someone that, you, that your players are going to go out and play for. Like as an Aberdeen fan, he's some someone of the similar mindset to Clark, as in. You're maybe not going to get yeah. it like full out all attacking football, but you get you get results, and like yeah. football is a results game. Totally. And he can play attack. He can play good football. It's just that he more sets up a team to like not lose. But that's yeah. that's surely a good thing. And yeah, that's. You build a team from the back. He, he tries to do that, and ask Taylor straight away for Kamaric. He'll be a perfect fit. He's maybe not the greatest quality on the ball, but as a defender, you just want someone to defend. Yeah, and and that's the thing that like you know, Kamarnik's obviously had big players like Taylor who've left for other clubs. Like like you you need to have like a strong defence, and sometimes you, you know you see it. In, I mean, you've seen it with like in the Premier League with Celtic. Like for as strong as they get when they they have like really weak defence at times, and you just think, do with any sport, and it sounds so stupid to say it. But just do the basics first. Do the basics well first, and then expand. And like I said before, like I, I played rugby, you know, and I watch the Scotland team sometimes, and you just—it's the same thing as the Scottish national team in football. At times, it's just you're watching people not do the basics first. It's like that's the the core of the game. And so I think, like you say, actually, I think it just it, it, like to me, it looked like he did all the basics right. He was solid in defence, and that's what you need, you know, like because they're going to be scrappy games in the championship and. Like don't, don't ever underestimate it. A lot of those teams have previously been in the Premiership or being close to being in it. And, and also they're seasoned in being in the Championship in that style of play. Whereas Kilmarnock have been away away from teams like that. They've been playing a, maybe a different style of game up in the Premiership. That's not going to float in the Championship. So like they have to be prepared for that. And that comes with having solid defence and doing the basics well. It's interesting as well. Like, see how you talk about rugby. So like the rugby team for Scotland and the football team are both doing exceptionally well just now. Almost mm-hmm. similar to like the nineties, whereby like Scotland is I used to go and watch rugby, I used to go to like Scotland games. I was lucky enough to go to Scotland England Grand Slam nineteen ninety decider when Scotland won. But it tends to be like these both teams tend to do quite well at the same time. I don't know whether it's is there something in Scotland just now that's making everything good because music just now generally like Scottish bands are like in fashion or Scottish yeah. music. Is I think I think it comes with like I mean maybe it's investment it's maybe I've been a grassroots movement but I do think it's like when anything if like like I said when the Kilmarnock were doing well you could feel a buzz in the town if Scotland's football team were doing well this rugby team are going to want to do well and you, you, maybe there's competition like you I think Scotland I'm not going to put words in people's mouths everyone has different beliefs but Scotland's moved very far away from England and it's really starting to find its identity again and, and whether that means having an identity within a union or means having an identity without is people's preference and people's debate. But either way, we're finding that ourselves. And in a positive way, England have gone and found themselves. England finding their personalities now has come out in a very toxic way. You know what I mean? So to see Scotland finding its personality in such a positive way, that, that speaks volumes to like the, the mindset of the people up here. And I do think, sadly... In times like this and in times of struggle, we do tend to see exceptional people excel, like we, like inspirational people in arts 
and we start to, to look to leaders from communities that we should be looking from in the first place and it, it's sad that it takes things like COVID and things like austerity to, for that to be the case but out of it often comes good things so I, I don't know maybe there's just a, maybe it's just coincidence you know so like, I, I'm, I don't really know but it is nice to see like Scotland being able to stand up and kind of have its own voice I like Scottish pride like, yeah. like we're all proud to be Scottish again and and this is the the thing in it. Like everybody's proud to be Scotland. It doesn't matter what side you sit on. Like your your belief is in a pride of your country. Like it's what you believe to be best for your country. And like you know I mean, like whether you're pro union or not, like your belief for that is based on your love of Scotland and what you think's best for your country. You know what I mean? I would hope. So like that, that's why I think when we all come together, we do spectacular things because we're like a small nation, but we're a proud nation and we're a nation and we've throughout history they history excelled far beyond what we should have for the population size would i ask about top three albums josh yeah is that your is that towards the end oh well we can we can do that if you like mate or shall or shall we save it to the end is that more fun to, we get to think about it uh, yeah yeah well my, i mean okay yeah 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 we'll, we'll give you some we'll give you some time um yeah we'll give you some time <laughs> that, well, sweat was on. That, that's so, like yeah, that's so, like when we ask a, a footballer what's the like best 11 they've played with yeah like sure. yeah I, we'll, we'll say we'll say right rather than top three right because it's hard to put a top three what we'll see is you're getting stranded in a desert island you can oh. take you can take three records right okay okay Oh yeah, three records. Yeah, yeah. I will. I will save that for the end of the podcast. Yeah, we'll come, I, come, come to the end of that. Yeah, you're lucky. We could have just thrown that one at you, but we'll. You're a good Gosh, guy. You're a good guy, and I don't think uh, that's fair. That's that's gonna be hard, just because like anyone, it's the volume of music you listen to, isn't it? And d- day to day, you could change your mind in terms of what would be your three that you want on that day. Like, oh, that's a tough one. But oh, we're going mm-hmm. basically Desi on this, Josh, on that one, almost. Desert Island Dixie. Aye, aye, aye. Do you remember your first gig that you played? Oh, God, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of first gigs, isn't there? Because you play gigs when you're wee in bands with your mates in fucking high school academy or auditorium, whatever the fuck it is, like the gym. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think one of them was Sukasa and Air. And, like, I love the fact that it was Ayrshire and, like, it was such a great vibe in that place. It was in, like... Is it like Lauren Arcade and um in there in the, in the high street and like it was oh, a, it was like aye, a baker's like, coffee yeah. shop and they had the thing upstairs and they used to do gigs and it was amazing that you go in and they go by the way like just so you know like there's no covers allowed you have to play your own stuff and it was just this great vibe and like so many great artists around that time like Little Fire and Rose Parade and Julian and the Dugans like so many like Michael Casty old people just it was just constantly great songwriters coming through and all getting to know each other and it was it was magic man like to, to play the first show like that was honestly like it was you know you were going back every so often and pe- we, we you know we went and we played the first time for like oh that, that band was really cool like that was different and the next time we played like folk were like queuing up the stairs like you couldn't, people couldn't fit in to see us and it's like it felt like something you heard about and like it doesn't happen now where like oh like this you know in the old days you see films and like you, someone would go out of town and they play and they come back and it'd be like that and be like oh and you feel like that fanfare has died and we got like a tiny taste of that experience and uh, yeah, it was cool. Like, it was just a really cool vibe. It's funny you say about Sue Castle, right? So I used to work with a guy from Logs who was a musician. And he used to always tell me about this place, Sue Castle. And I was like, he would tell me about it. And then I seen 
in the arcade, and I was like, you played gigs in there? Yeah. You from Lords as well. Who was that? Paul McGranahan. Ah, oh, I'm no way. Paul McGranahan used to play guitar and Brown in the Bandits. Aye. Oh, did he? Yeah. So, uh, back in the day when I was working, he, he was in it, when I worked with him, how long ago was it? 10, maybe 10, no, wait a minute, what about the misses? That'll roughly work out. I would say about 15 years ago, because he had been in a band, and then he went kind of solo. He went, yeah. aye, blink, yeah. That's yeah. right. And then he went solo, I seen him in Classic Grand. I think that was one of his first, like, My, gigs Paul, when he was playing himself. Paul is honestly the most underrated songwriter of like, all time. Yeah. Like, what an exceptional songwriter. Uh, very nice guy as well. Yeah, he wrote. He co-wrote "Stop the World" there you go, in the Did first he? record. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Stop, by the way, "Stop the World" is my favourite on the album. Yeah, I wrote that with Paul. So no way. Cool. There you go. Uh, that's all world. There you go. I've not seen him for years as well. Like, uh, you know, like social media, you can uh, you start working with folk and you can maybe keep in contact. But he's not a big media man, like social media. No, it's not. Is he? I came away from Facebook. I was like, uh, hate Facebook, and I think that was the only contact I had with my word. But if you ever see him, tell him I'm asking for him. Yeah, I'll do, man. Like, I've, I've not guy. seen him in a long time, but like, because his brother was an actor as well. I remember. Yeah, David and David was in like I'm sure David was in like Jersey Boys in the West End. Yeah. Wow. yeah. yeah. So like, obviously, I just a creative family. It's exceptionally talented family. Um, yeah. With that, see the Ayrshire music scene. Do you think it yeah. suffers a bit? Like, so we have like Dictator on Betty Souls, who West Lothian, close to Edinburgh, Glasgow, you can have. Does the Ayrshire music scene suffer a similar way to, like, it's not Glasgow in terms of... I, I think so, because... because, because do, do you know what, as well? It's even down to transport links. Like, you know this, Josh? Like, last trains to Ayrshire are quite early. Like, there's not actually great links between different parts of Ayrshire. Like, it's mm-hmm. hard to have a scene. Like, um, and I just think... When I first came into there was a lot of older acts and it became, like straight away like a competition like there were, who are these young bucks and like Ayrshire for some reason that quite often falls into the trap of like not not like Lothian where it's like competitive but in a positive way it's like negatively competitive and oh you think you're this or that and it's a real shame and, and, and everyone just grows up with a single that you have to go to Glasgow and there just isn't infrastructure there isn't an infrastructure you're not close like you know if you're in Livingston you're so close to Edinburgh Glasgow and you're going to go like Bathgate has stuff as well you actually just doesn't have the, the venue infrastructure you know to do it sadly and and it's such a shame because there's loads of great bands and songwriters I'm sure I mean for the hell it's like the home of Burns it's like renowned for yeah I mean so words. many <clears throat> you know what I mean so many, so many when you think when you think of the, the amount of great great artists that have, have originated from your shit uh, you know I mean you're talking like global superstars like Biffy Clyro yeah um you know Classic folk singers like Eddie Reader, um, you know, get, get you know, you know, guys like yourself, father, son, uh, all these kind of different acts. Like, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah, um, yeah. It's just such a rich history. Of, <coughs> but it's like, so, so if you, if you, the thing is, like, you know, people might say, oh, well, if all these bands do well, why didn't they come back? But it's like, where would you come back to? Literally, where would you come back? Where play rugby park? Play? I think yeah. Grand Hall is a great venue. So I've been lucky enough to see Kasabian, Lovertines there, Las Vegas, but it's, Bar- a, it's, Bar- a, Bar- but... it's a council venue, you know what I mean? It's like they, they sold they say it's not, but they sold it to their leisure department for a pound. And like 
it's council rates and, and council venues are notoriously difficult to have shows put in and that's why people avoid Kamarnock and uh, like so unless a company like DF who can bring the Libertines and afford to do it do it like you're just not going to see shows and the councils don't make any effort to support man like no criticism of the people involved great people but KFS man what a farce like bringing elephant sessions down to play Ayrshire like the fuck who the fucking Ayrshire gives a shit about a traditional folk band from Inverness I'm sorry like read your audience like that is not what people in Kamarnock or Ayrshire listen to but like they're not booking in like bands from Kelly or beyond man there was there's a festival I don't know if you know there's a festival in Adrossan sometimes on the front I don't know what it's called like and they had like well exactly and it's literally across from my house and I didn't know what's happening I just looked out one day and there was a stage and I just thought, you know, this isn't even exciting. It's just fucking pissing me off that I've got to look at this fucking barrier for three weeks until they put on this one gig. And 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 there was like there was bands from like Livingston playing it, and I was like, but like, no, no one even asked me. I would have done it. See if someone said, "Do you want to play a show?" I'd have thought, "I only have to walk out my house and play a show." Fuck it, I'll be there. You know what I mean? But how what? so? How do these things? How do these events happen? Where there's like they're in, So when they whenever events finally do come to Ayrshire. It's like by it's like it's like someone's done it to get community funding to prove that they care about Ayrshire and they're now from here or something. It's like how how is there no one from Ayrshire involved in this lineup? The one I think always in terms of Ayrshire is the Trune Fest, which I know you played a few times. Yeah, but, but what again, a fucking shit show of a festival! In, like. in terms of like getting there again, like but just terribly you'd organized. Have a, you'd have to do a daytime show in Ayrshire because say for example, yeah. like Josh and me in terms of what we say, if we were to try and go out a Saturday night, we're going to have to rely on our missus picking us up. Whatever's yeah. wherever we are, like, like we can't go. And music is nighttime. So I actually forgot to make the bloody joke earlier. We usually call it nine o'clock, which I call international gig time because nine o'clock is generally the headline act. Yeah, but we're doing this earlier at eight o'clock. You, you just can't do that. Like you can't, yeah. you can't get there unless you're driving. Which don't on, I don't mind going to gig and not drinking. Now I'm older, but maybe even just want a couple of beers. This is like it. I don't. Like you just got. Listen, like investment into infrastructure, and you know that they won't even use it to make transport links between. I, I think it's something like if, like you, so if you live in like Drungan, you're technically in like a almost in like a East Ayrshire postcode, but to get to East Ayrshire, you'd have to get a bus to air to get a bus to Kamarnock. It's like there's no infrastructure within Ayrshire. So well, like, people... listen to this and going, like this is a pure Ayrshire podcast. Like I draw in like folk about like, yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, know. I know you mean. I, I know you mean as well. Yeah, exactly. But but even Trun, like that's a well known place. Like you can you can't get from like a Drossen to Trun in one train. No, you but can't. You need swap. Like, you know what I mean? So you can't get from Ayrshire to Ayrshire, but you can go to like Glasgow and all that. It's like that, that's the issue. See how you were saying earlier about like trains. So like the last train back from Glasgow to where I stay on a Saturday night is just after ten o'clock. It's mental. <laughs> like, what are you to do? I know. But you're not allowed to go out during the day. That's it. And Trun, Trun was a terrible festival. I don't mind saying that. Like, it was just, it's always run by, like, whenever whenever an event's run by a group, it's just kind of be a disaster because it's loads of voices that don't understand the business put on an event. And then they didn't pay people for, like, what was that? I don't know if you saw that, but, like, I don't think they paid people for years for that last live at Trun. Or Did people have even been paid. The one I was at was... Um... Hector Berserk was playing. Um, Colonel Mustard of Dijon Five. Yeah. Oh, and there was there was an Ayrshire band. Oh, what were they? They played my mate's wedding. I can't remember the name of just now. They kind of like 
what he the lead singer always wore like a turtleneck. He seemed like he was he was quite funny on Twitter. I remember he was quite. Oh, what we caught? I would need to try and think back how long ago it was. Oh my goodness. Well, he said they, they, play that wedding totally bands. Right they play weddings and they, they were pretty good. They were kind of like a bit kind of 60s, 70s vibe, a bit kind of. Oh, I need to think of the name. But I remember Colonel Mustard Region 5 were like headlining. But they'd mm-hmm. headlined the year before. And I, I don't know about you, but see a festival if you go every year, you'd want to see someone different. And that's no disrespect to them because they put on a great show. Yeah, uh, it's like fun, isn't it? Like it's good fun. Um, but yeah. It definitely wasn't people that were music fans, because no, nah. <laughs> I, I knew one of them was involved, so I can say that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just like there's no point in like saying, "Oh, you know, they did their, and it was it was shit, it was a mm-hmm. shit show," and it's the reason things don't go well in their shows because they keep letting people like that like get like funding to do events, but then they cancel like great events, like they had uh, at the Burns Fest and that. You know, they had the stage there and. And the, the folk behind that were always really great and the, we played it once and they seemed to do an amazing job like putting on a show and it's like for all like I don't know it's just it's just I can't figure out sure out like they, they don't want to fund it and then they say nothing happens but then they fund terrible things and then go people didn't like it yeah because it was shit did you ever ask anyone if they wanted that like mm-hmm. have you ever tried to put on a venture yourself then in your show of interest like would it is it really difficult then to try and put on a music gig I think so. I mean, I, I just, I mean, I want to do more air shows and I'd love to, but it's just, where do you do it? Like, we, I tried, actually, you know what? Like, I'd obviously tour managed for a, lot, a long time and I have a lot of, a lot of friends and a lot of bands. And I went to K-Fest and said, like, man, I would, I would book the shows for you this year. I would get involved. And they were like, nah, we're going to stay with the guy who uses it. It was a guy who worked at, like, Park Hotel or something. He's like, fucking involved in music. <laughs> and he, he just walks around booking band, his, like, friends with pub bands and that. It's like, but, like, you, if, with like, and, and I pitched them as well during lockdown, like, you know, don't like do a virtual festival and 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 and, and to average because it's not. By the way, it's not for I mean, they, they lose money in it every year, so it's not for fucking profit. I was like, this is how it should run. You've got this budget from the council, you have to use. So, book out airshare airshare bands, do it online, build up to it so people come online, get people to do like wee acoustic sets and like Da Vinci's and local businesses and that. Advertise business, advertise bands, go to the festival, and that becomes an advert for the next year. So you actually can have a festival that people attend. And when you do that, do tickets like short leads, places like Unthank, do discounted tickets for those areas that you know to be areas that have people who struggle. So people who come down to Gla- from Glasgow can pay their £10 for but people from those areas pay £2. It's busy. People aren't going anyway. What's the point of making tickets like £10 to £20 if five fucking volt go over? Like it's not benefiting your community. I so I just so I just can't figure out what it is. And instead, you get some mug. No offense, to the guy doesn't know anything about music, and he's yeah. booking it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, well, hell, mind you, it's never going to be a thing. It's not going to exist. It doesn't. And I was trying to say, man, if anyone wants to, has the time, wants to steal the idea, fucking go for it. I was like, rebrand it to KA Fest, right? And do it in Kelly one year. Move it to North Ayrshire the next. Move it to South Ayrshire, and it rotates. And when it gets big enough, you do three nights. And and the actual tape around the air shows and it becomes a thing and the council's all put in that everyone supports it. Because there actually are so many people in the airshow who would go to it. But I'm in, I'm in. I'm right. Instead that. instead of why why should we have to travel to Glasgow to see music? Music yeah. should come to us. Yeah. But nobody wants to invest in airshow. Do, do you know what's quite exciting? Like I'm going back to your point about like I know maybe the council and the grand hall, I do know the, the issues with it, but I had the buzz of like you couldn't actually order a ticket online, I had to queue up. Now, mm. I remember, like, 
going back to what I mentioned Oasis earlier, I queued up for 12 hours to get my ticket for Barlick. Now, that seems crazy to someone now that just, like, goes online, tries to get a ticket, but 12 hours. So, like, Kasabian, Libertines, like, all of them, I had to queue up. So there was a wee buzz. Yeah. You're in the queue and you're talking to, like, folk that like, like the same music as you and you're chatting away, telling stories and just, like, bands coming, like, big, massive bands coming to these places. You're like, that's massive. Because... Could you imagine if it was like per council and it was East Ayrshire and they were like, well, you know, I can let can bid for it because all you need is a field potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dumfries but why House. not? And then Dumfries House, like Prince George, yeah, I mean, it's massive. It's right for it's right for a gig because I'm pretty sure yeah. they could like fence it all in. It'd be amazing. Right, and then people have to come to the area and use like go to Mockland and all the places around it, and it's like <laughs> that's yeah. that's how our economy works. Yeah. And instead, they're like, we'll just put it on at the, the car park behind the benches. And, and hopefully people don't walk past and see it. Like, fucking Jesus. Get a brain between you, do you know what I mean? Like... The, the, there was one thing, actually, once, I remember one year, so there's a, a festival here called Alive and Kicking, a kind of music festival, but generally it's geared towards... I about that. It's geared towards, I would say, older people, I, I would say, but they did one year put on an event, so, like, Auckland likes a mining town, and there's a bit, the A-frame, so that area, they actually, yeah. put, on a, they actually put on a rave. For, like, really? I've been there, no, yeah, yeah. And I was like, that's pretty awesome because there's not always feel like with local uh, music things, it's always geared towards older people. Whereas, I mean, folk love going to music, young, old, whatever, like get stuff, get different things for like accessible to everyone. Yeah. Or different different events. Yeah. This is it though, like, Fair Play to Kelly because they obviously do that like band, like, so, and they try and feature new upcoming acts. And it's like, Music and football could do a lot more together, and it's like, yeah, like accessibility is the biggest thing. Like I say it all the time, like, like music should be accessible, and it's currently not in all ways. And even when you go to Glasgow, in terms of like actual access, all the venues are like downstairs or upstairs, and like for people with disabilities, like that's not fair because they don't have the opportunity to see shows. Now, like, even if you selfishly took that out of it. Every band and crew would thank you for not having to take all the fucking gear up the stairs, down the stairs. So, like, even just even selfishly make venues accessible for the fucking people who have to operate in them. But more more so, you should be doing it anyway. But it's mad when you get into these discussions because people just go, oh, it's going, oh, it's a fucking, people have gone mad, like, oh, it's a fucking, oh, you're trying to give too many rights to this guy. And it's like, shut up. Like, it, I, I, you know, like, I hear it all the time. I have to, I, I sit in a lot. It's been it's been a hard year for like the music and that because there's been a lot of other a lot of other battles to fight for people people of color particularly on online and, and beyond and a lot of discussions about our space and society wider and as a business and music and when, and we've started to have some positive steps and some positive funds film more than music and you just always hear people saying like oh this is bullshit why have you got this fund for this and it's like but it's additional funding like why why is an additional access like if if someone builds like a ramp. For wheelchairs you've never if tesco built a ramp right where you were you've never thought well i can't get in the shop now you know what i mean so when, when they, they have these additional things it's like that's just additional access so that everybody has the same opportunity and that's what we don't have in music right now at all we, we have a, an amazing fan donna who has a disability and some venues like she has to go early and they have to carry her up the stairs like that shouldn't be happening like that, that yeah and and the problem we have with these things is we we let people set like equality as like some sort of like utopian dream 
instead of going like you know what quality is a starting point and if you can't if you can't adhere to those rules you're not actually allowed to be a venue mm-hmm. sorry no, because I'll, I'll tell you what event if, if you said to a venue they're not allowed to operate without the access they would suddenly find money to be able to do it all that money they can't find to build that access i'm sure they would do it if they were to close so we need to stop allowing people to have this bullshit thing of like nah like nah that's not oh, you're that's living in the, man just everyone and this comes into class as well and, and like music should be accessible like programs should be accessible some of them there's like some great programs as well and people say oh no that's great for kids for film like there's like they, we run these courses in Glasgow and that we went so I did I directed my first film during lockdown and we filmed it all in Ayrshire like I said like that's where I want to film it. I want it to be as many Ayrshire things as I can mm-hmm. and uh they're like you know some of these kids like the opportunity like you know that we have free courses in Glasgow I'm like yeah but like you're you're saying that with with the thought that they can even afford or have the resources or the support to make that trip to Glasgow and be able to do that like but like they, they they would love to be involved in these things but they don't have the infrastructure even at home to do it and like Ayrshire doesn't have those things here and so again it's this thing of we're expected to go to Glasgow if we want the opportunity but how, how does that work for people who mm-hmm. don't have that mobility and, and like and it's funny because I, I talked about that in an article but obviously the article headline was something about diversity and see the amount of people that commented on it like oh fucking here we go diversity I was literally talking about how not enough stuff comes to Ayrshire folk from Ayrshire going like this guy's fucking woke I'm saying you, you should have more opportunities man <laughs> read bro <laughs> it's quite interesting like you see that point like you're talking about like disability awareness and different things like that so um, one of the guys our good friend of the podcast Kyle uh, Kyle Gunn so we are doing a live event or we're hoping to depending on what the announcements are tomorrow yeah. and he's in a wheelchair and he messaged me I, I met him and said oh we're doing a live event you would come along and be part of the team and all that type of thing and the first thing he had, he said, he said, I would love to, but can you ask him, do they have, can I get in my wheelchair? Mm. Like, that's ridiculous that he has to ask yes. that. I mean, it's crazy. And I, I went, we, I met him, so I'd, we'd spoken in the podcast and we'd arranged to meet up for a Scotland game and we were going to the pre-match. And again, he's having to ask all the time, like, do you think I'll get in? Like, will I get in? Mm. Because, will they have access? Thanks for the did. So every time he has to go a place, he has to phone ahead and say, right, this is my situation. I'm yeah. going to come, do, is there a possibility I can get in? Like, have you, or am I going to have to be carted up a set of stairs? And... Yeah, it shouldn't <laughs> be crazy. that. But that's what I quite love about, like, Harbour Arts Centre in Irvine. Like, it's such an accessible building and, like, such a great team and they're really doing amazing things like the Freckfest team it's just obviously like it's only 100 capacity so it's not like the, probably be lovely for like a live podcast and stuff like that and see, like seated events is great so it's just a shame that like but, but it's great because that team have learned so much from that venue that they're starting to put on bigger shows in Ayrshire and I do think that Freckfest will grow to be a big thing and I've already said to them like you know if we get big enough to be doing bigger air shows again Ayrshire shows again like I want them to do it and they have this great thing where like when you come to the show they ask you to bring uh, like a, a donation bag for the food bank because it's about giving back and that's what music should be like music is for the community and it should same same as football it's like for the community and it? it's like it's about giving back and it's about your local thing and that's one thing I've thought about a lot we, we talked about this like a wee tiny bit off air I was saying like for all I'm saying like I support Kelly because it's the Ayrshire team like I should really be like thinking about locally like really what team you could support and we need to go back to that grassroots thing and make sure because that's where our 
future stars are going to be first and we need, they need to have that support and infrastructure. I think that's something we spoke about last week in terms of like I going to support your local team in terms of like your West of Scotland team, your junior team, your East of Scotland team, wherever you are in Scotland. It's actually the mm-hmm. teams that need the money. Like, don't be wrong, the big teams might need your money, but actually you're having Meadow, you're Talbot, but they're bigger teams in the, the non-league setup. But your weird teams like if we're gonna go airshot, like let's go, we're talking about loads of places, Muirkirk, Lugar, um, up your way, Josh, like where would you on North Ayrshire? Lower level teams be really like Adia, Sockets Fix. Irvin Fix. You're going to say aye. Oh, Irvin Fix. <laughs> aye, no, no, they can, they can, they don't need, they don't need any money. They can. <laughs> the likes of that, like can, these teams need money, like they don't have a bigger, fa- a, a big fan base, but these football teams are like the heart of the community, regardless of where you are. Mm-hmm. Like, football does mean something to people, like it means a lot, an awful lot. Like, Again, I always think music and football is linked. I was going to say intrinsically, that is a word. And, yeah, uh, definitely. In terms of like the effect it has on like community mental health, like see when like COVID and there was no gigs, there was no football to go to. What what the, what am I doing with my life? Because there's nothing to do. I know nothing to go to. And then like live streams happen. You're at least it's not the same, but at least you are like getting to support bands that you like. Mm-hmm. So I also feel a, a sense of duty to like support bands. I like yeah. in terms of they're not making money. You can see it all the time in terms of like all you guys are saying, we're not we're not getting any help. It took a long time to get any help. So well, any live stream, we... you were like, right, I'm going to buy a ticket because yeah, I don't know that we ever did get help because so, so many musicians like mugs sat on their couches and beg for monies for music venues that won't even fucking pay us. Like, and this is what this is the it's insidious of this business that. We are programmed from the beginning to think that musicians should be the last paid, even though they're the ones doing the work. And so many of the venues that got money, both from government and then the trust, if they were to offer you a gig fee for a band of four, they'd probably offer you like 100 quid. How, how is 100 quid paying for anything for that act for four people? It's like, so we did it all wrong. It should have been supporting like the workers of the venues and all the like you know we had to support the venues I totally get it but then there was a venue in Greenock that uh, got like massive funding stopped being a venue and just turned into a pub so like how how does that like how has that helped anyone in music so we just have a real issue now like we need to go it's the same thing as going to support your community club it's like you have to support local artists local record shops and go back to buying products because streaming doesn't pay anything it doesn't make any money it has been a really, it has been a really difficult couple of years for, for I mean, yeah, for, for clubs, but for for bands as well. Um, in in terms of your, for, your, for yourself, Matt, how, you know, across the, how, what's your experience been in, in, during the pandemic as a as a musician? It's been, it's been quite tough. Like I think for the first bit, I just thought, don't sweat it, we'll get through it, and then it's just been harder and harder. And like I said earlier, it's the confidence thing. It's like even when you've got music to release, you think like is there any point like you know we've had a single ready to go for a bit but we're like music got a, a really raw deal because <clears throat> when everyone was at home and they couldn't go anywhere it was great to interact with people but you couldn't do anything really because you had no gigs to back it up so you're doing live streams all these things then the world was like gradually allowed out but as the world got back to normality there were still no gigs mm-hmm. so now musicians weren't allowed to gig but they couldn't gig at home because no one was online to watch it so we were in limbo then gigs come back with the rubbish, but then there's all these rescheduled gigs so no one can book in. 
And then by the time you get back to gigging, oh, things have got worse again, restrictions. So it's kind of been almost like hardest hit in terms of some of the industries, like, you know what I mean? Like to to, to go ahead again and to get yeah. back into it. And, yeah. and now, even now, we're like, what, we're trying to discuss gigs and it's kind of up and down and we don't know and going independent. So it's it's been a, a hard road, but like for me, it's made me think, well, I want to do it independently. And like, there wasn't really support from a lot of these big companies you know like there's music has big behemoths and they did nothing to support mm-hmm. artists so it's like well, we we need to like move away from that and find a way to be sustainable ourselves and mm-hmm. um as i say well, at a certain point you had to just accept where it wasn't like i said before like i i got into directing i've got into film a bit you know i was in a film and uh, i wrote a film and directed a short film and i made a wee transition into that industry because there was nothing for me in music like there's no support whereas in the film they've just got a great system and great support and mm-hmm. they really do try their best but you know credit to people that help musicians they've in creative scotland they have worked hard to get bits of funding out to artists to help them pay bills and to do that to be able to survive and not just for creative projects but i mean to, to go so mm-hmm. you know a lot of times funding bodies take flack but they've really stuck out for artists where the industry maybe hasn't mm-hmm. see in terms of flip around the positive you're mentioning Greenock. Yeah. Was you on that skig, the 01475 yeah. Festival, with a few good bands playing? Yeah, Spires, Kyle Faulkner, stuff like that. So, so wait, wait, uh, do you want to give us the details for that, Matt? So, Sat- Saturday the 12th of March, we're playing in Greenock at the Town Hall. So, there's like a whole festival going on, there's loads of acts, loads of different venues. So, I think you can buy um, a ticket for it all, or you can buy just for the Town Hall, which is like ourselves, Kyle Faulkner, uh, Spires... And a few other acts, and yeah, it's our first gig back, so I'm just excited to get like back on stage with the band, and like the organisers are super keen to make it happen. And again, like Greenock's like a Greenock's got a really rich music history, man, and it's a really great great town. So like, and the town hall is a brilliant venue, so it's like a really worthwhile place to go and see a show, and it's going to be the, the full band for that. So yeah, Saturday the twelfth of March. And so where that, can where where can our listeners get their tickets? Yeah, I think if you go to B12 Promotions or B12 Presents or uh, go, go and check for our posts, especially if you're on Twitter, because we've got it last summer. But we can, I can post a link in the, the Instagram as well, because Twitter's at Brown Bear Band and Instagram's Brown Bear underscore official. So I'll maybe update the link to be the ticket link for that for anyone wants to have a look. But yeah, just search 01475 Festival or follow B12 um, promotions, and it's kind of all there. Or just search Google, I guess. Like, I... All, like, my ass. <clears throat> it's hard, isn't it? Because like, it was twenty um, quid for early bird tickets before Christmas. Yeah. But I don't think it's probably the same price, but for like even, that lineup, that's even, tremendous for twenty. Yeah. Even at that, yeah, twenty, thirty, forty quid, even for that, you know, that those, those kind of prices, you, you don't get that kind of value nowadays for a ticket. I mean, there was there was me, me, me and my girlfriend uh, last year uh, towards the end of last year. We got four tickets to Liam Gallagher at Hamden with Kasabian support, so it's a great gig. But we were three hundred quid, something like that. For four tickets, fucking absolutely crazy. But this is it, like, people now are going to have to choose, like, can I afford to go and see loads of bands or see support artists? Cause I've, yeah. or, or am I going to save up and go to one show a year and see, like, mm-hmm. Ed Sheeran's next, yeah. next yeah. soiree into yeah. boredom? Like, Definitely not going to see Yeah, we, 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 no. yeah, we, 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 we like, I, I, I find myself, I do find myself at times, like, if I, if I see, if I see someone's playing, um, uh, and I'll be like, you know, I'd like to go and see them, but do you know something? Well, I've already, I've already bought three or four gig tickets this month. Can I really be paying for another one? But, but you know what it is like. You're paying 
because this is it, right? So people are people are starting to think, man, gig tickets are extortionate. But gig tickets are extortionate is because people didn't want to pay ten pounds for a CD or fifteen pounds for a record. Yeah. So now they're paying in the back end because they're like, well, you know, all those debts we incurred making the records yeah. to do this tour, you just have to pay them off. So like gigs have become so expensive because they have to make the money somehow for all yeah. that stuff, and it's only way to cover it is like on the other end, and events have become. It's popular, but the Greenock gig definitely go because it's like a, an independent promotion and it's like a town and it's like we talked about with Ayrshire, it's like we need to support shows in these regions because otherwise it becomes Glasgow heavy and, and we'll see what happens to tours, like people come on tours and it's a Glasgow date or an Edinburgh date or sometimes not a date, whereas Scotland's big enough to have a touring infrastructure and that yeah. trickles down into your own local economy, so go, definitely go and support the shows, like... See how earlier about talking about Auckland Lake in terms of like things. See back in, so do you know Tragic O'Hara? Yeah, I know Dash. So tra- he was here doing stuff murals. So like Auckland nice. Lake and all of Ayrshire's got like this rich music history whereby the likes of the Who came, Fleetwood yeah. Mac, all these bands. Like if you were to think just now, the likes of the equivalent would be uh, Arctic Monkeys, Libertines, Oasis coming to Auckland Lake, Irvin, Logs, and all that. You we just that would be just no way that's happening. But there's all these bands yeah. like came to like wee places. So there was a thing. There was like so many music venues in Scot in Scotland or the local communities that folk went to. Like big massive bands when they were up and coming. Yeah, it was, back in the day they played all the social clubs and the mining clubs because music was a community thing. And like my pal was telling me about that, like the who were playing in Stuart and stuff and uh and then that's how we ended up when I, I did the solo tour. We were playing all over and I, I was just taking on anyone. I thought we should do that. And, and the thing is, people appreciate it. We, I played a show in Methyl, of all places, and near leaving. And uh, yeah. it was absolutely packed and folk were just going mental for it. And I was like, how did people even know that? And they were just like, well, no one comes here. Like, cheers for coming. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because cause in big promoter's heads, they go, ah, that's a catchment area for Edinburgh. They can just travel there and see a show. And people can't, afford to or don't have the ability the infrastructure how'd you get easily from there to edinburgh like so i'd be like saying going it's easy to go from walking like to glasgow it's not it's not like that easy and especially when you talk about train times and That's all these I things and if you're a bit further out in the sticks and you don't live like even in the town center or whatever like so then it's like there's just a whole community potentially who are not engaged in music now because of that or they just listen to what's in the charts because they just listen to clyde one that, that's all that's accessible to them yeah uh, so uh, Greenock Town Hall is a brilliant venue. I went recently for DMAs. Unfortunately, they did oh, get cancelled because... Uh, well, not cancelled. Curtailed. The fire alarm went off. Oh. So, like They were just coming up for the encore. And it was that way. The, everything went silent. I thought, maybe this is part of the art. They're going to like go silent and then like come back and like have these heavy riffs and like just be going for it. And then I was like, oh, what's going on here? So everyone's like looking at each other. And I was like, these sirens flashing mm. but not going and I the gig unfortunately stopped and there was a curfew so they couldn't even come back on oh, that's a shame but lovely venue like the venue mm. was amazing yeah it's excellent like real and the acoustics in town halls are always really good as well oh yeah they're great venues it's a shame they're not more utilised but, but again maybe it comes down to council 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 uh, that's it man yep. so we move on to like the questions we've not managed to ask that We've been asked by, yeah, we've been quick, asked by quick fire because, question round. Well, we call it slow fire. John, oh. you got some. I've got, I've got a good few. I, I've, I've been through. I've been through most of mine in conversation. Right. That's efficient. Right. Okay. So, Sylvie, 
You know, Sylvie uh, Sounds. Yeah. Sylvie. I don't know, not Sylvie. personally, but yeah. Um, she wants to know what song do you wish you had written? Gosh, I should really know this because it's the kind of thing I say to people all the time. I wish I wrote that song. Um, I think. Hmm. Maybe I can't take my eyes off you, Frankie Bell, in four seasons. Like oh, nice. watching nice. and it, and it and like just go and learn how to play it and realize like like see where it starts. Like see when you get to like verse two after the first chorus, like it's in a different key, but then they get back to the original key for the chorus. It's like it's mental. It's just what a tune! Like it's got everything in it, doesn't it? It's got all like the hooks in it, but it's just it's exceptionally well written. It's genius musically. It's yeah. key and saying this like that. That's but honestly, just music then was just so much more. It it feels simpler, but actually, it's like exceptional. Like we really have lost a standard in terms of writing. Like. Yeah, that's one of those songs. It's so annoying because I feel like the other day I said to someone, oh man, I wish it. I say it all the time, like, gosh. And there's lyrics as well. Like, see um, Prince, like, 1999. Mm-hmm. Like, see that, like, just the genius of that song because it's like, feels like a party song, but it's actually really grim. And, like, see the first verses. Like, I was dreaming when I wrote this, forgive me if I go astray. When I woke up this morning, I thought it was Judgment Day. The sky was mm-hmm. turning purple. There's people running everywhere. And then he goes, I tried to run from my destruction, but, you know, I didn't even care. Like what? Like what a genius! See on the back of that then. So Arcade State, another band. So yeah. some of these guys, Sylvie's coming on in two weeks time. Arcade State are coming on in next month. Yeah. So just want to talk about lyrics. They've been there. doing what's, great for themselves. They're brilliant. I've got to see them in April. Yeah. F33. What's the favorite nice. lyric that you have written of one of your songs? <clears throat> have you got? Uh, sorry, Ed, that's maybe the tougher one than a lyric that someone else has wrote. Different ones for different times, but um, I was really proud of Retro. Um, there's a line in Retro that says, how can you say you love me when you taught me to hate myself? And that was about being at school when I was in school and they used to teach you like Africa was poor and all that. And I used to sit and go, like I, I'm, I'm of African descent and I kind of realised at a young age when they're teaching me to fucking hate myself they're teaching me from a young age that I'm worth less than my peers so like that's about educate. like I love that lyric because it just seems like nothing in the surface but really it's like about like and I think that goes for so many things like you know if you're a, if you're a woman and you grew up in that era where like all you saw is like a certain type of woman in a magazine cover like you've kind of systematically been taught that that's how you should look um, <clears throat> in the new record I think I've written some of like my favourite lyrics, like um, there's a there's a song called "Spin Another Web" and people won't hear it until they hear it, I guess. But like, uh, it's like spin another web and see if it sticks, because I can't seem to figure out the truth about you. Somewhere in between the dust and the bricks, there's a crack big enough for you to fall through. And I was just like, man, I was just so happy with that, like that kind of determination to fucking mm-hmm. self-destruct like you'll always find like a glimmer of like because a lot of the themes in the second record is a bit about like life and like ups and downs and like d- depression and bits and pieces like that and that's just fucking when I got there and also also the song with Lyle there's the song called Close Call we, we had the second verse and I was sitting like um, 
it's like get this I love rhymes like this so like the first bit's like the next time it's a rainy day a rainy day make sure that you call dust off all your records bring the whole collection I love doing a wee double rhyme in the middle and then I'll sing our favourite song so we got to like after the first chorus and I was like I was like, I just can't get it and I was like mate, I don't know so I walked away and because uh, we had something like uh, it's the last chance for you and I our paths won't cross again and I couldn't get what I should do next walked away at the kitchen to make cup of tea and he was like mate you've been ages and I was like well give me half an hour mate because I can't fucking get it and I was like that's it and I was like give it half an hour before it turns sour and I was like yep there we, oh, go. There we go so I love stuff like that because people will listen to that and probably think oh what's that mean and it was literally because I said to him like well, just give it half an hour mate like <laughs> I'll fucking get there and I, knew, I was like oh that's it <laughs> like one of those lyrics if you were listening to it yourself it's like a dagger in the heart type thing you're like oh fuck yeah. that's like deep type of thing yeah and it's really not <laughs> oh aye aye but like, uh, I as a listener, you're something that's like, it. You know, that was but, really deep. But it's actually not about that at all. But, but that's like the, the, the oasis thing in it. We don't look back in anger, and like people always like argue to what what did that mean? And they did not say like it was literally like, like the Christmas photo, and he was scowling because he didn't want to get his photos taken. His mum said, "I oh, don't look back in anger," and it was as simple as that. But people have put so much into what that means, yeah. and it was just like a fucking throwaway comment. Like, oh, like don't do that. Yeah, that's the beauty of songs like quite often you're just like but you're quite into like <clears throat> I, I, I'm people, I don't even know if this is true but like, I like to read into it I'm like what does that mean and like, Prince is a genius like Paul Simon's a genius but like in Prince you know and Raspberry Beret like I, I was working part time at the five and time my boss was Miss McGee like, the thing about Prince is like people don't think of Prince as being black but like he was like a black icon and like so then he goes he told me several times that he didn't like my kind like so he's like that whole song is like about being black and working but like you just sing everyone just sings that and like but like that in the two lines he said and this is this is something I guess I've learned from being a film like it's like the way you, you know the guy from the streets funny enough gets quoted a lot in film film books which is fucking bad but it's because he said such a great thing and he was like you know I could tell you she was mad and angry and I could just say oh she was angry at me or I could tell you she was tapping her foot and in your head, you're sitting seeing someone tapping their foot, visually raging, and you know. So it's like, you know I mean, that's a genius alert, you know. And, and I feel like that's lost now in songs because it's just like, yo, at the club, met a girl, text them. Yeah. Aye. Like, what? You know, like, just what? Like, it doesn't mean it. It just doesn't mean anything. It's not saying it's anything. It's just worry. Nothing for society. And that's where hip hop's winning. Hip hop is saying, like, so much education like people like Dave and the British scene and that they're saying things that are just like so fucking like Kendrick Lamar they're like Whoosh. and then pop music used to say even if it was in the videos or rock music bands don't say anything anymore other than like yeah I want to be cool I've got a quick fair question Matt um, I mean it might, it might it could be one of your desert, desert island that's I don't know uh, but what's your favourite hip hop album? Depember Butterfly because Kendrick Lamar but I thought Honestly, like, cool. I think because I've got loads in it, and and for years I would be like, and I'm like, oh, because I love the miseducation of Lauren Hill, like I love like Fear of a Black Planet and all that, and there was so so many like NWA, like yeah, oh NWA, that's right. what I grew up with, like listening to. <coughs> you got parties yeah. and like folk were like on vinyl, yeah, like Wu Tang Clan and all that, man. Like, like honestly, like, but I think with the Pimp a Butterfly several years down the line we'll look back and realise that was like just one of the most genius albums that were like far beyond its time Do you so, like Kanye yeah. West or not? Because Kanye West not at the time because I thought Kanye West at the time was kind of it's, it's a good, kind but 
singing about things that maybe hip hop artists hadn't maybe sang about as much before. Yeah, maybe, but like I, I just don't, I just I don't know if it's like because it's like it's got to be the combination of everything, doesn't it? Like you, you have to say things, but it has to be like sonically great, and like the voice has to really work in the flow, and like for me. Kendrick Lamar had it all in individuals and I feel like I feel like there's so many albums you hear now even from people like Jay-Z where you can tell they've listened to that album and they wanted to try and be what he was because yeah. that's like to me Kendrick Lamar set the new standard yeah. and everybody just is trying to be him but in my opinion like that's, he's, he's the guy so that would be that would be him that would be one of my discs and that would be my hip hop disc alright sweet 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 uh, I'm trying what else we had here. Like, I thought that, yep, yep, yep. Because I feel bad. Like, see if someone tells you, like, I've got a question for our guest and they don't ask it. I feel like bad if we don't. Yeah. Know. But I think we have maybe covered everything. I've, t- I've got it all written down and I tick everything as we go. Like, it's really. We did ask best gig you've done. Hmm? Best gig you've done. Badass. As in a particular one. Like, a particular one that was like. Probably supporting the Libertines, I think, was like just felt like an iconic moment like felt like we were part of something like like it was like a bit of history you know what I mean what were they like to tour with because was that that was when they were I take it like there was like the friction between the band and all that and they were yeah when we when we were the support there was a bit of friction uh, between Peter and Carol um, <clears throat> but I never really played out like that man like they're, they're grown ups you know I mean like getting mm-hmm. on just super nice to tour with, like a great team. They had like honestly, like a, what I would say about when that when they were at that peak and they were rising, it was like partly a lot of people think it's always about the band. Sometimes it's about the crew, and they just had the most exceptional crew surrounding them at that point. Like just the the best techs for the job, the best security, the best tour managing team, like um, production team managers, like um, and I, I subsequently ended up working on that tour. So like, I, after I finished supporting the tour, they took me on to work on the 2015 oh. tour, wow. and just loved it, man. I just love them as people. Like um, Peter is like such an incredibly nice human being, and like not at all what people think of him. And yeah, I think Pete Doherty is one of the greatest lyricists of our generation. Yeah, he's amazing. So clever. Like, he's so Lyrics good. are amazing. I love him. I've been lucky to see him. Remember was Cap- a... Capital in Glasgow? Yeah. He play- I remember one day we- I was going there with my mates like we were going a night out and then there was rumours of Pete Doherty's playing in Capital in the basement we were like no way is Pete Doherty playing Capital in the basement and we got there just by chance it was the night we were going got tickets to see him in like at this wee tiny venue and you're like no way have I just seen him play there a solo show and yeah. he was just he is he's just he has something doesn't he talented. Like, some people just have something they walk in a room and you're just like oh wow like they've and he's one of those people that he just has this like thing, whatever whatever that is, like And everyone that you ever heard that comes into contact does say like he's got an aura about him, that you do speak to him and he's like genuinely a nice guy. He's not like a he's not like a ego. He's just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. <coughs> I, I love, last time I, I saw him it was like I actually kinda like wasn't sure what I was doing and, and they phoned and said, Do you want to support it Tuts? And uh, I went up and he was just chatting. We were just chatting about Bros, like when that band, <laughs> like when will I be famous and all that. Because that documentary been out. If anyone's not seen it, watch it. It's called When the Screaming Stops, and it's and watch it because it's like really hard to tell if it's real or a spoof. But either uh, way, it's incredible. So we're talking about that, and like 
he's just really so he's just like a nice guy and, and that started for me because like you know he would the first time we played the show with him he came at the tour bus and he was like oh like you must be like brown bear take you into the venue took us into the venue and he was like going around saying to all the staff like hi i'm peter thanks very much for being here like if you weren't here i wouldn't be here and like just so nice and then after that every time we would see him he was like he just always say, oh mr brown bear but so when we were in the touch dress room he said to me like oh, can i have one of the vinyl? There's a, i don't know if it's still on the instagram but it's a picture of him like holding the vinyl over his face and one over his like crotch somewhere and uh he was using the back and he was like who's matthew Echo? and i was like that's me and he's like oh Matt, wow because he's just always said oh mr brown bit. <laughs> well done for having a real name yeah amazing man i don't know if you thought i was at ronaldo or something right i think this might be the last question before the uh, the top three things this is my question who in the history of music and currently would you most like to duet with oh wow uh, in the history of music history of music first of all I they could be dead or alive then for you. I, I think I think Michael Jackson I think he's the single greatest performer that ever lived like I don't think there's ever been anyone better than Michael Jackson ever so I think and if not I haven't Freddie Mercury but yeah I think Michael Jackson just like I was watching something back the other day of him and you just realised like the guy was a fucking monster a genius like and he just was trained by so much, like, a lot of people don't know this, but in Motown, like, they had, because he was saying, like, they had everyone come in. So, maybe Stevie Wonder, actually, but, uh, yeah, for me, like, Michael Jackson's, like, like, they all loved him, and, like, you know, he got, like, singing lessons from, like, Frank Sinatra and all that, like, he was trained by, like, the best when he was in Motown, and they had folk come in all the time, and just, like, you ever see those videos, and folk would faint when they saw him and all that, like, he just, I think it would be amazing to just be in this company and go, like, what, what? And faint and miss again. Yeah, faint and miss miss all. That's the guy. And currently, for me, Anderson Pack, like I think he's just an exceptional musician. If you don't know, he's he's currently doing that Silk Sonic thing with Bruno Mars. Like that's. Oh yeah, yeah. That, so Bruno Mars, <clears throat> I think, is exceptional. Like yeah, there's a pop artist. Like so, so the guy who's doing that with Anderson Pack, like check out his own stuff because it's sickeningly good. Right. And he plays drums and he's he plays drums and sings and raps and it's just like. It, this feels phenomenal so yeah I think I feel like I should have picked a Scottish person there but yeah like I think that would be for me like the two the two for you I don't Super. know if I if, if I was to pick like a, a Scottish person or a local person I'd like to do something with Bims you know well like... see on that did you organise <laughs> through one of your sessions Dictator and Bems are doing a track together yeah Told them to, yeah. I can't wait for that. Yeah. I, I, also, I've been writing like for folk, like me and Billy were in right another day, and like I'm, I'm in the next week or so with Mark Sharp and stuff like that. So, like, I love It's funny you brought that up because, like, after I do the second record, I want to do a collaborations record. I'll do like a record with loads of different folk before I do a third. So, I saw Mark Sharp support the Snuts at the Barlands last year. He did a cover of Born Slippy. And it took me yeah. a minute to figure out it was Born Sloppy. And obviously it's an iconic song. And I, yeah. it wasn't until I was, like, like, I was like, what is that? That's Born Sloppy. Do you know what? He's just like the nicest guy on earth. 
honestly, like, fucking love Mark Sharp. Just such a nice guy. He's, a, he's really into similar music to me. So, like, when we were saying, like, what would we do for, a, like, if we do a song together and it's like that kind of thing, like, you, you expect people to send stuff similar to what they're doing. And he was straight in with, like, we should just do Silk Sonic, mate. Like, <laughs> flashy Motown stuff. Like, smoking <laughs> out the window. <laughs> He's got a soulful sound, though. It, it reminds me of... Yeah. <clears throat> See, like when Pound on the Tea went to America and did the third yeah. album, isn't it? It's yeah. got that kind of mm, yeah. feel-good yeah. American vibe, like soulful. Yeah. And he's, he's a cool guy. Let's like, Mark yeah. Sharp, he's a pretty good-looking guy, Mark. Like, oh, man, handsome. Like, he's... Yeah. He's like, just got everything going he's from talented. He's one of those... One of those people. One of those guys. One of those loading. Favorite. <laughs> 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 yeah, right. I think I think that has we covered all the questions by other people. And apologies to those I've not asked if I missed any. The showstopper. Right. Desert Island. Dick. <clears throat> Here um, we go. You you are you are on a desert island. Um, you're on you're on a desert island, Matt. Um, you've, I mean, you've told us uh, that one of your one of your, your your records would be Kendrick Lamar's "The Pimper Butterfly." Yeah. Um, you have you have two more. I think Graceland, Paul Simon. Okay. Um, gosh, it's hard because it's got to be like there's loads of songs and artists, but it's records in it, so ah, it's not, that's so tough because like. Like you say, it changes all the time. But maybe, okay, maybe Thriller, like Michael Jackson's fucking exceptional. I mean, it's the highest sound record of all time. Quincy Jones produced it, and like, yeah, I think so. I think maybe Thriller, Graceland, and Butterfly cover all the genres there. That's cool. Yeah. Does that mean we need to continue and ask what would be your book? That, that's what it goes well, in. Like, you got a book, book as well. Oh, yeah, did you get a book? Did you get a book? I think you got a book. Yeah, I listened to it sometimes. It was a missus told me you need to listen to this. And I was like, because I always thought it was like, I don't know, I didn't really know what the format was. And I listened to it. I was like, oh, actually, it's pretty cool. I think uh, you get then you get seven songs normally, but we've adapted it to three albums. But I think you got a book to take. You like yeah. a book? I, I would take, um, out of books, um, I would take The Amateurs by John Niven. So he's an usher. Mm-hmm. It's set in Ayrshire, so it's about a. So you wrote to kill, uh, kill your friends, like which is like a pure music industry, but whatever. And he's written lots of books like that. So the amateurs is about a boy from like it's supposed to be kind of like from our Vinish area, who's got like a pure mundane life, but he loves golf, but he's shy at it. And then basically, he goes out in the course one day, gets knocked out by a golf ball wakes up from a coma and he's a PGA level golfer oh, and it's and it's all in the Ayrshire dialect it's fucking brilliant oh, that's so I would cool. take, yeah that good. everyone everyone should read that book as well it's just class another one you'd like Matt actually you might have read it already is Mayflies by Andrew O'Hagan oh no that so down, yeah so I mean you know you know Andrew O'Hagan from Cowan originally yeah uh, and he his latest uh, his latest book Mayflies was out last year. It's one of a lot of, a lot of awards, right? Um, and it's based predominantly in Ayrshire. Nice, um, and it's it's I mean it's the main character is is, is essentially I don't know why I spoil anything, but the main character is essentially from Irvine, and the way that 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 it's written, it talks about certain places in Irvine, and, and and as I'm reading it, it was really cool. Like I'm like it's talking about. 
it's talking about you know him, him and his friend they go and they get a chippy and then they sit in this wall behind the the Irvin Mall and I'm thinking I know that wall yeah I know exactly what wall he's talking it's about class, isn't like, it? wow that's that, that's the thing like and, and there's another book that people should read called Espadier Street and it's about a songwriter from he was like a famous songwriter from Paisley so he was the bass player in the band but he wrote all the songs and it's like his life after like the band and it's like just a, a, I think it's Ian Banks it's just a beautifully written book like um oh he loves I, his I music, love, Ian Banks. I love, like Ian yeah. Banks definitely loves his music. He did. He's done tunes with like Tim Burgess and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I love books and film, like films. If, I don't know if you could take a film of this island, but if anyone's not watched, like, watch a film called Blind Spotting. Incredible! Like it's it's like a set in Oakland. It's like a just look up Blind Spotting, and everyone I've ever showed that film is sat and going, "How is that not massive? That's one of the best films I've ever seen. It's absolutely incredible." I'm taking a note of that. And, but that's my thing. See, with the amateurs, like my dream is like with directing to get good enough that I can say like to the BBC or something like I want to make amateurs into like a a, a film or a series for a BBC and, and actually film it all in Ayrshire and like do like an Ayrshire like cast and like or get like people in and do it a big thing like because <coughs> I feel like film should be coming to Ayrshire. There's, when we shot the film. <coughs> We had an amazing DOP, and um, when she was in Ayrshire, she was like, "I just can't believe like people don't know about this or come here because there's so much texture to the, the way things are shooting. Like everyone always shoots in Glasgow, and now it's kind of boring to see Glasgow because it's in everything and all the especially short films are shot there. And Ayrshire has like, and also you can be at the beach and in a town grimy look, and then a forest within like a five minute walk." And that's not many places you can do that. So like, actually, it's just amazing like to shoot. And I'm just like, we should just film more things in Ayrshire. See, just because you're into films, then who's playing you in a life biopic of yourself? Who's playing me? Oh, oh gosh, you know, like a guy called uh, what's it like David Diggs. He's in that film Blindspotting, but like you might not. But if you Google them, you probably know him. He's been in quite a lot of things. Yeah. He was in Hamilton and all that. Like, I would say, ah, right, like, but I feel like he, look, he looks kind of like me. So just from that alone. <laughs> so like a cool guy then basically. yeah but I feel like it, I should play full line in a biopic <laughs> hey, you, should... do, you do have a bit of the full line out about you yeah man that's um, what I'd hey, like to do uh, hey, another, another extra connection thing unless he played the Magnum in our yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. back in the 70s or 80s or something like that I just got uh, a, a full yeah. line t-shirt the other day like it's like that more blacks more dog more Irish <laughs> Oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. Yeah, some boy. And Ayrshire Connection as well, man. Like, I said, Simon, funny because Paul McGannigan grew up with him, but Graham Lyle, who's from Larynx, he wrote, like, What's Love Got to Do with It for Tina Turner. Aye. It's an Ayrshire guy. Kyle Faulkner covered that. And Kyle covered it. It's an amazing cover. It's an incredible cover. His voice sounds ridiculous in that song. Yeah, that that EP he done with with the kind of five, he done done going. Your own way, and create on that, and he did about two or three. They also done Shana Shana song, and was, that was a great black eye, blue tears, and then it yeah. was like you've yeah. got a friend in me or something. Is that it's a great EP. Yeah, his voice just sounded sickeningly good on it. Yeah. Bank films, and people don't realise how good a singer he is. He's amazing. He's, I, he's, I, he's, I love he's, him. He's got an incredible voice. He, he really, really does. Yeah. Do you, do you want a story about Kyle that I've told before? So see that uh, record sign It's all quotes. Yeah. So I, I went along to. It. Um, I'm busting for a piss, so I'm like, right, when's he coming? Hopefully he'll be here soon. Where am I going to go? So there's a lad brokes in the corner. I thought, usually a bookies is a good place to go. There's an amusements. 
I tried the amusements. Yeah. You couldn't go with that one because you know like, an amusement, you need the key. Yeah. Like, I can't go there. Went to the bookies, put in a bet to try and, you know what I mean? Like, oh, like, like I just got to go because I use a toilet. So I put a bet on, went to the toilet, came out, and then I'm kind of standing and I'm going in the street, a curly-haired guy, is it? Is it? Is it? Is it him? Walked up and he goes, all right, Kyle. And he was waiting for his mate because his mate had gone into the pub for a fish. And his, yeah. the, the van had gone to the venue for the the gig or the record signing. And I'm trying to wait for him because he got a picture because it was COVID. So everyone's getting pictures obviously with masks and all that. I was mm-hmm. like, I got a picture, just a normal one. He's like, aye, cool. Trying to wait for him and all that. And he told me the story. He goes, actually, can you tell me where this venue is? And I'm like, yeah. So I walked him around to the, his own record signing. <laughs> which is pretty cool. And obviously you were there as well. So, yeah. nice guy, really friendly, and yeah. his voice is brilliant. And all the stuff he's done, really, all these different musicians, you can tell he's well respected in the industry as well. Um, yeah, I mean, they did the song with Paolo, they did the song with Mark Ronson, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and he is, my, honestly, like, see, seeing the tour, like, <laughs> every so often he'd be like, could, could you get this person into the gig? And, like, like, he'd be like the bass player from, like, Jamiroquai and all that. Like, like mad, oh, mad uh, folk. Zender. Zender. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, he just bows at him like just fucking all these guys turn up. And like, Mark Ronson, I know. Like, honestly, the people he's friends with is mental. Greg McHugh as well. Guy, thank you. Does it? Because him, Greg McHugh, Kyle, and Martin Compson had a flat and together in London at one point. They were all flatmates. I, I read that. Uh, I can imagine that was uh, interesting. Mental, isn't it? Did you ever go to any parties there? Yeah. Nah, I was never invited. I wasn't no, cool enough. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't know I didn't know him back then, <laughs> to be fair. Um, yeah, I, I was lucky enough to see him getting Q&A'd by Alan McGee as well, so that was something yeah. else that wanted more. Um, did we get, we got the three albums, didn't we? We have. Yeah. I think we could talk all night, it's safe to say, but we probably should. Should we wrap it? Yeah, go for it, unless anyone has any other questions. I think, think we are. I think we're done. Um, just just coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Just hopefully everyone enjoyed it and check us out. Follow us, give us a tweet. Just I'm, I'm always pretty social online, so just and we will be seeing you at Greenock Town Hall on yeah. the Saturday, twelfth of March. Yeah, and we've got um, some new music coming soon. Hopefully, some dates to announce in the next month or so. So keep your eyes peeled. We will definitely. Right, cheers, Mark. Thank you for. Thank you on. so much. Cheers. Thank you, Brown Bear.